everyone, and welcome back to another edition of the TetraCast. This is RPG Site's weekly podcast where we get the site staff together to talk about our favorite genre of video games. I'm your host. My name is Brian Vitali. Joining me, I have Josh Torres. Snake Eater. And James Galizio. Hey, folks. Just the three of us today. Uh, Adam has a family engagement, and I believe Chow is busy with work. So it'll just be uh, me, Josh, and James holding down the fort. It is the last podcast recording for the month of May. For those of us in the U.S., it is Memorial Day weekend. So hope you're enjoying your hopefully long weekend if you get Monday off. Uh, and we have a fair bit of news. We've been talking about going into the summer months, all the, the summer games fest, all the different publisher or developer-based showcases. Um, not Nothing huge so far, but the biggest thing we're talking about going into the PlayStation Showcase 2023. Uh, there was a marvelous streaming event that I think we all kind of forgot about because they didn't really do a whole lot of pushing uh, for that event. But some interesting news came out of that. And then a few other announcements uh, that kind of took us by surprise. So we actually have a quite a quite a loaded slate of of topics to go into uh, as we go into the summer months of June, July, and August. In addition to that, we've always been talking about, of course, uh, last month, the month of May, was all about uh, at least at the forefront. Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. I know some of us are still working through that. Uh, we've had a few other releases in the back half of May and going into, of course, the big the big release of Final Fantasy 16. We had a lot of different uh, previews and footage and trailers and information kind of dumped on that over the last week, including a new trailer that was shown at PlayStation Showcase and a bunch of different previews and interviews, including some uh, from our site, from primarily James here, as well as Alex. That will, of course, be a big focus of today's recording, plus a few other games that we just kind of want to talk about to fill in the gap before we all get swept into the the Final Fantasy 16 mire uh, in the back half of the month. So that sound good? Got a pretty yeah, full slate a, here. A, yep. a lot of events happened this week just kind of out of nowhere and pretty yeah. beefy. Yeah, I remember when someone posted the uh, the Marvelous stream, which is only about a 30-minute uh, pre pre-recorded stream. Uh, but we're like, oh, yeah, this thing was announced like back in February or March. But then we like it snuck up on us and a lot of interesting things came out of that. But we will start off with uh, Final Fantasy 16. Of course, publicly, this was the the Salvation trailer at the PlayStation Showcase. But James can finally talk about his experience going hands on with Final Fantasy 16 from a few weeks ago. And Alex uh, Donaldson, who was on the podcast last week to talk about Zelda, couldn't make it this week to talk about Final Fantasy 16, um, also contributed to some of our site's uh, preview features for for that game. So I will hand it off to James to start out the discussion here. Uh, Final Fantasy 16, of course, um, you were able to go hands on a while back. Uh, just tell us about your experience, about uh, getting time with the game, your impressions and just everything leading up to uh leading up to now. Yeah, so at the beginning of the month, I got a chance to play about six hours of Final Fantasy 16. Most of that was uh, completely linear from basically, the best way of explaining it is, they sat us down at a PS5, at the title screen, and then they clicked new game. And then we were off. Okay. So I uh, got to see the beginning hours of 16, which... um. On one hand, it's awesome. On the other hand, it means that when I do eventually play the full game in a couple of weeks, I'm going to be skipping cutscenes a lot for, at the beginning of the playthrough. <laughs> but, uh, 
But yeah, this was so. this was the game as it starts, not a curated demo. This was just the first, the opening hours. Of... There was there was there was curation eventually. Like once we reached a point in the story, then they said, "Okay, here's a section later on that we have modified to include more um, game like combat abilities, so you can get a better idea of the combat." And then there was a separate section that uh, let us have a bit of a free reign with one of the more open zones. Okay, I imagine sense. like if an E3 were to like if it, like in an imaginary world where an E3 happened this year, this probably would have been the build they would have used to show yeah. the game off. I imagine. Yeah. But, but did they did they say that was like the final build that you were playing, or like close to fi- final build? Um, it's definitely close to final build because uh, um, we were unlocking trophies. So. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Almost there then, if not already there. So I mean, yeah. like, just ch- like you know, you have your preview piece up. There's an interview. You chatted with Alex. I think just like, uh, just I guess to get the to, to get all the fluff out of the way, just like you know, to the audience who is probably most curious, like, how did it feel? How did it feel to control? How are the how was the switch like? You know, like a quote unquote true action RPG uh, that they keep on touting. Just, oh, Josh. I'm a bit of two minds about this because I do like the combat and I think that you can definitely see where that uh, Devil May Cry 5 like uh, DNA, I guess, for lack of a better word, is like showing itself in the combat. Yeah, they got the dude that that, that, uh, made the combat system. At least early on, it doesn't quite feel what I expected because you have like a melee attack and a magic attack and then you have a special attack that depends on the icon that you have uh, equipped mm-hmm. so if you have phoenix it's like a stinger if it's uh if it's um titan it's a block or if you time it per- like perfectly it's a parry if it's garuda then it's like a kind of like i don't know the best way to describe it usually it's like a tether type attack and the way that enemies work is that they have a stagger bar and there's like a kind of spot in the middle of it where they very briefly get stunned but not like the full stun duration if you use Uh garuda's uh special attack or special ability there that'll just like tie them down and will like extend that stun which is kind of cool but besides that like the there's really only the one combo okay there's really only the one combo and uh, you do have access to other abilities that you can unlock by uh, using, like, skill points, I believe. Um, but the combat itself, it, it's fine. But, like, most of the... Most of what makes the combat feel different is these cooldown abilities for your icons. And there's, like, two... Like, you can equip two of them per each of the icons you have available to you. And... Basically, those are your special attacks like that. um, That rising attack with the wings you saw in the original trailer, that's one of those cooldown abilities. Okay. Uh, So. I did enjoy the combat and I didn't like get tired of it through the demo, but I could definitely see unless there's like more significant changes later on that it might get old pretty quickly. When it comes to like managing these cooldowns are, are you like switching between like like these icon styles and then like when you switch to another one dude like the cooldowns of the other icons keep on going so when you cycle back to it it'll all still they be do available. keep on going 
and you actually okay. can see like a little um, icon, <laughs> not uh, didn't mm-hmm. pun, okay, uh, that lets you know like which of your abilities have recharged. And like when one recharges, you'll see like a an effect around Clive that kind of lets you know which of the icon's abilities recharged. Like um, if it's a uh, one of Phoenix's, I believe it's like a red flash. If it's one of Garuda's, green and Titan. Okay. I think the one of the things that I guess from a spectator point of view, like for the trailers, whenever they show off combat, it's like it always feels like some of these enemy mobs, like even like the common mobs, feel like they're damaged sponges. Like it feels like sometimes you're you're kind of putting out hits, and it feels like you're you're not doing anything until like these big attacks. I've definitely felt a bit of that, and especially in some of the boss fights, that's the real reason why I noticed the combos being the same all the time is that since you're basically sitting around waiting to use your cooldown abilities to deal most of your damage not to mention wanting to maybe save some for once an enemy gets staggered so you can kind of like just throw them all at the enemy while um while they're like weakened it just the combat's good i enjoyed it but i'm not sure if what i played was enough of a what's the best way of phrasing this i am not sure if the action combat has enough depth mm-hmm. to really make up for what's been lost in the transition at least so far yeah it's a you know you only got to play a small slice of it so we'll see how that develops and you know hopefully it does you know develop in a significant way because you know part of the, the big charm of the dmc formula is having like basically the freedom to vary up that you want to play in between Dante's styles, in between how Nero plays with his mechanics, uh, in between Virgil, like that. Even though, like, e- even if you play other characters besides Dante that only only stick to like one or two weapons, the way the 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 way that they express their move set is all sorts of varied. Especially once you start unlocking more and more skills from them, you just have so many uh, techniques up your disposal to really vary it. Yeah, and to be clear, you do get other abilities that aren't just timed. Like you do get uh like uh, enemy step, you do get uh more aerial attacks for your for your combo. So it's like you do get more abilities, but it does feel pretty does feel pretty limiting at least in the opening hours. So, yeah. And then so you and Alex were talking about like, you know, supposedly this was like kind of like the going to be the the preview where they show off the RPG aspects of it, because I think up until this point, people have been wondering, it's like, it's cool that like what they're showing, but you know, to our audience, you know, they're really, of course, first and foremost, uh, they want to see the RPG mechanics, you know, the people who have been longtime fans of Final Fantasy really come to it for, you know, the, the RPG side of it. And we haven't really seen that much of it from, We've seen, we've seen a few point. we've seen a few skill trees based on the icons and that's kind of it yeah and damage numbers and you know you oh, can yeah. level up but you know very <laughs> basic stuff so what was your impression uh uh you know from this preview they didn't really show anything that they hadn't already shown that would uh kind of showcase the uh rpg elements like uh especially for the first couple of hours where it's a very incredibly linear affair if there wasn't for occasional level up screens, you wouldn't even know there was an RPG. Yeah. You just wouldn't know. Huh. And I know that's probably the last thing some people want yeah. to hear. 
No, but, I'd uh, rather I'd rather you get your genuine I'd rather get your genuine impression than try to say like, well, I'll just assume that it comes in down the road. Like you you know all you can say is what you saw. Yeah, yeah like and from what I understand, it seems like one of the main aspects that they're considering that like like as part of an RPG is the story. And you do have like these NPCs you can talk to, like in in the flashback where Clyde, like we've seen in the trailers where we f- figure out what actually happened to to his brother and everything about that. During that flashback, you can talk to people. Uh, obviously, at the uh, Sid's Hideaway, the main hub, there's people you can talk to. You can pick up side quests. We were not allowed to actually engage with any of them. So to be clear, there might be like there could be a ton of side quests in this game that really alleviates some like some of my concerns there. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, it's kind of a weird decision that like you were talking about it and like you had so yeah, you put in a, quite a few of hours into this preview, yet like that they were very they they were stressing that like please just like only follow this main path, don't go exploring on your own. You know, it's a, it seemed yeah. to be a very guided sort of uh preview. Which is, you know, fine. Like we've we've yeah, had like, yeah. of, like E3 previews and other like you know expos that we've been to that like you know they they this could be like a, a, a like I said a near final build of the game, but they're like some maybe some major issues in this build that like if you go the wrong way, everything starts to melt. Yeah, something know? like that. And I do want to kind of say as a side note that um, man, I feel like I'm just saying negative stuff, but That's, I do uh, I do I, 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 I do want to. Uh, no, that at least the build I played and considering they said that they don't have plans for a day one patch, I am a little bit concerned. There is performance issues mm. like in this uh, one forest uh, kind of stage, for lack of a better term, that I went through. There was definitely issues even on performance mode where the frame rate was absolutely not a steady 60. And I know I'm not the only one that mentioned that. I know that mm-hmm. um, I believe the folks at Easy Allies mentioned that, too. Mm-hmm. Which, uh, they were in the same session I was, along with like kind of funny and uh, uh, Michael Higgum from uh, Gamespot. But it's like, yeah, it it's not egregiously bad. And during combat, you're still going to be at a solid enough frame rate. But it's definitely not a good feeling when you're playing something that's ostensibly an action game first and foremost, and the frame rate is right. Like, like you don't want to like play like DMC and see the frame rate like you know dip at any time during the combats like because much of the dmc combat is when you start like learning the the and fine-tuning your skills like the last thing you want to see is like oh i missed an input because of a frame rate drop. yeah and to be clear like it's a little bit alleviated if you decide to keep the accessories on that help you with uh dodging at the right time or like uh following up on attacks on the right at the right time um i do think that's uh Visually, the game looks really good, um, mm-hmm. especially uh, like that forest area. There's really good lighting, lots of fine detail on like leaves and whatnot on the ground and and like the shadows and everything are all, all around things. Uh, yeah, the game looks great, which is why it's a bit of a shame that there is some of those performance dips because I it, like it, it, it is also one of those things like there's like kind of a true exclusive for a console. So it's like it's made from the ground up only for uh, PS5. Well, not I mean, quite, because they did confirm that they were working on a PS4 version at one point. Okay, but but still, then that 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 that, that makes it feel doubly shitty. If this was first conceived as a PS4 game, and now it's on PS5 and it still has performance issues, then 
you know, it still feels that, that that kind of feels doubly shitty then. Well, that's just uh, kind of like aspects. back to the same conversation we've had. Like, well, they'll probably fix it. This is just how games release now, unfortunately. I mean, I it's it sucks that that's the status quo. I, like, I mean, it would be great to just see like this that like you know none of this maybe none of this matters, and like because of the near final build, maybe they did figure right. it out. Um, but so again, all you, all, you, all, you, all you can do is report on what you saw. <laughs> so right. You yeah. So if this comes out and this, you know to have fairly bad issues just technical issues then you know so it's just another one on the board then you know now i uh, do want to say it's not nearly as bad as some of the other games we've gotten recently it's right it's, it's not it's it's not lord of the rings golem that yeah low that's low. Oh, gosh, yeah. <laughs> uh yeah it sounds like some of the limitations that james has, has seen might just be due to the limitations of what a rpg or an rpg adjacent games vertical slice can show because yeah. the uh we've seen like i believe it was the february or march state of play the last time we saw the game extended like around the same time as pax where we saw sid's hideaway and the side quests and the hunt board and things like that all these kind of like uh, you know we talked about how this game is limited maybe in terms of rpg progression of your character or stats or equipment but you know that's not that's not all what comprises an RPG. We've seen the things like the with the questing and uh, with the side objectives and things like that. But those might not if if especially if James's um, preview deliberately kind of bars that because they're trying to say here's how the game plays moment to moment in the combat. Well, then it's going to focus on that. And that yeah. might be. I, that I, might... I think it's it's one of those like weird things that makes me wonder because like he did get access to a build that had like more advanced. Like more like later skills, like not saying end game or any anything like that. But he just he was at a point in the game where he got he received more skills than like normal players would have in the final game. So it makes me wonder like how long in the final product will it take to to ramp up to that point where the combat feels diverse and varied. Because I don't want to like play like the first twenty hours of this game and it's just like you're kind of doing the same thing for the for the first twenty hours until you get more stuff to play around with you know yeah that's um, that's the main reason it's still stuck with me is because I, I just don't know when even the like co- like the abilities i had at my disposal in that like later like section is going to be organically like uh, available to like players and i don't know it's it's a bit concerning it's it's, so it's one of those things that like it makes me think about like maybe I should just like mainline the game up until like the point where like I feel like the combat is like fun and varied enough to like I'll start just filling in like the missed early quests or side quests and missed well, early optional is, then, stuff. Is, is what if they're like completely missable? I wonder if there's like a completely missable stuff in that game because I I think I think bo- like, I'm not saying that not like no no modern games do it these days but it feels like most modern games have kind of shied away from like permanently missable stuff um in, in terms of like how they're designed but well we'll see I mean who knows but like it, it it will feel bad like if there is like early permanent missable stuff and you're just trying to get to a point like you want to start having fun with the combat because you feel uh, potentially you may be feeling that like it's lackluster up until like you finally get a point in the story where you get like a good amount of like icon abilities to play around with in general i will say that like when i was younger i was i was basically like i I have to do all the side objectives explore everywhere before i proceed on the primary objective 
But now, like, um, A, just my patience and B, also the fact that games are a little bit more adverse of having a huge slew of missables, missable content, missable scenes or whatever, that I'm like, all right, like, it's usually prudent to progress the main quest to a point and then find a good opportunity to do upside objectives. So especially in a game like this where they're trying to balance, okay, we want it's an action game at its heart now. We want to still have that feeling of progression. So maybe early combat does feel like you're limited in what you can do and maybe a bit stiff and repetitive, but you you unlock these newer abilities or you gain more access to these icon powers and eventually it'll start flowing a bit better. So you want to kind of get to that point first so that you're enjoying the game moment to moment, then kind of go and go off on your own side adventures and things like that. Yeah. So, you know, the gameplay stuff aside, I think one of the things that really stuck out to me when we we're uh, on our coverage on our site this week been talking uh, with Yoshida um, was like, you know, of course he's, he's kind of taught about like, you know, the, the, the gameplay is like, maybe we find it and all that stuff. But like, it seems to be like one of the big worries that he has with this game is like the story of the game and how he really wants to know how, what people's reactions are going to be after they've seen the main story. And is my like, impression uh, on this a bit strange? Sorry to cut you off, but like early on, early on when this game was first announced, like the fact that it was an action RPG was the thing that was the big thing. But now it seems like with this most recent thing of marketing, does, maybe I'm the only one that feels this way, but they're actually saying like the most important thing to us is story. We want to make sure that people feel good about the story. The story is everything. I'm like, well, this just seems like it's a different tact than it was up until this point. It I'm definitely saying- sounds like they've maybe, I wouldn't say changed like track, but maybe they, I guess maybe extrapolating from what I've played, they might have realized that, oh, this isn't, really enough of an rpg for for people that are looking for specific aspects of an rpg we need to focus more on the story that's just a complete like guess on my part yeah and there's also you know like uh, some additional reporting from the outlet saying like you know how much game of thrones really influenced the development uh of this game's like uh, oh you can tell you can tell yeah so they're really they're really pulling from like you know, like Final Fantasy has always had a strong Western influence as time has gone on. Like they've they've really, uh, you know, went to like like big big popular contemporary Western media and not in even shaping just the identity that. of this game. Not even just that. Like even from the very beginning, like Final Fantasy has had like Western developers. Mm-hmm. Like so, yeah, yeah. So it it makes me wonder. Like I'm I'm really interested to see like how what he means by that i guess and and, and really i really want to, i really want to get to like to the end of this story without like getting accidentally spoiled somewhere i don't want to like i don't want to see anyone else's i want to come into it completely blind completely like oh like just i i want to know what i like you know what what happens now because of like why are they like it feels like they're like at least for your how yoshida's re- responding right uh like you know there's like this very big worried tone about like how people will receive this game's plot and that makes me curious because it, it that's like a that very like different res- not different but may- maybe it's a more vocal response that i'm used to up until like the like the, the release of uh final fantasy like you know when you're when we're 
thinking about like the release of like FF10, FF12, even like you know FF8. Like it's not it's not like you ever got really like that kind of behind the scenes develop uh, developer vocalizing their thoughts of like oh I really wonder like I'm really like worried about like how people will receive the story uh, for them. Uh, like you know from what I remember, I could be totally wrong on that, but that that's from what, what I remember anyway. Been following like you know developer interviews and stuff like that now, I and mean, I was like really eagerly awaiting these older Final Fantasy games. Well, it does uh, seem like story impressions are where people are the most opinionated, polarized, or passionate about. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. That's just what people, especially fans of this series, seem to latch on to. Uh, at least in my from my point of view, like obviously Final Fantasy uh, 15, the main issue was how rushed it felt, how empty it felt, how um, put together cobbled together it felt and how it had to be supplemented by the royal edition and dlcs final fantasy 13 talked about how the story was all put away in the codex and it didn't make sense unless you like dug into that and how the sequels kind of didn't really make sense and kind of went in their own direction final fantasy 12 it was the perspective of the protagonist was a bit different and you know there are swaths of land that had no story uh, and I'm, I'm not saying that these are all opinions i agree with it's just like People feel very strongly about these things. Final Fantasy X was too much of a drama. Final Fantasy IX kind of felt like it was the last one where people were had like a consensus about whether the story, you know, whether it was lacking or good or things like that. So it just seems like they're trying to preempt that and say like, all right, we're putting all of our eggs in this basket in terms of a story that is complete, start to finish, doesn't have gaps, is easy to easy to follow, provides all the information that the care, that the players need in order to. Even if you say like a, like a, there's no gaps, like they're already like I don't know why. I don't know why they, they said this but like they're already like teasing like a sequel to this game as well like they say oh we left the door a little open like you know just you know potentially for a sequel it's like i don't i don't really understand like the 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 sentiment of like you need to why you need to vocalize that you know because now because now you give you're giving people some people the wrong idea it's like oh are we not going to get a complete storyline out of this game now that you're already like talking about a potential sequel to this game you know, will it feel complete then if you're already talking about a follow a, a, a potential follow up? Because that that is, that is a bit weird to me, <laughs> you know, especially for Final Fantasy. So, so I, I mean, wanted to I wanted to find the the I saw that headline about leaving the door open a little. Um, it looks like the quote is at least according to the article Alex put up. Moving forward, when people get the game and play it. They love it enough that they want to see more. We've left the door open a little, just enough so that they, we can continue and can show more. I was trying to see, like, all right, from the, from their mouth, what did they say? Am I okay with that? Eh. I'd rather they say, like, you know, if the opportunity presents itself, we'd love to see a sequel, rather than we left yeah. the door open a little. It's a little bit of a nuanced difference about saying, like, if we see mm -hmm. the opportunity, we'll take it, versus we've left the door we've left the door open for us, so we have that opportunity later. Hmm. I'm not sure how I feel, I feel like about that quite I yet. feel like that's being a bit semantical. I feel like they're just vocalizing what pretty much everyone does. Yeah, they're, 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 they're just saying like they're not going to say definitively there will no be there will not be a sequel. They're just saying like, well, maybe we will. Maybe we won't. Uh, we don't we don't we want to we don't want to shut the door on us. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, it's just one of those things that stuck out to me because like I, I obviously like, you know, I'm not really I, I'm not really used to. You know, direct Final Fantasy sequels. I mean, you know, you had the FF13 trilogy with 13-2 and Lightning Returns. You had uh, FF10-2. You know, it's not like Final Fantasy is no stranger to direct sequels for their main lines. 
But mm-hmm. I think I think it's one of those. I think it's one of those things in this like weird contemporary like landscape of ga- the gaming industry that we're in at this right. moment, right? Where you always have like products that feel incomplete because they have like upcoming DLC to supplement them. You know what I'm saying? I'm not saying that FF16 is like it follows in these footsteps, but it feels kind of bad because that's how modern media has shaped us. Yeah, and I like how you just said modern media because it's it's all media. Like the the standalone experience is so rare now, and I can't believe you forgot Final Fantasy. I can't believe you forgot Final Fantasy Twelve Revenant Wings. I'm sorry. Yeah, (laughs) Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not saying this isn't just for video games, right? You know, you have like you know cinematic universes and like movies. You know, like everyone's trying to have their own cinematic universe now. We're like, we'll make all these standalones and we'll tie it all up together. that 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 also happens for TV shows as well because you know that's kind of what the audience wants and it, it I don't know it, it it feels I'm not I'm not I'm not going to like <laughs> I'm not going to like doomsay like the entire FF16 file because of this one thing it's just one of those like articles and features that we put up and like I read it it came from Alex and I was like I don't know this kind of, I just wanted to vocalize that that kind of rubbed me the wrong way but I'm not saying that like FF16 is going to be like ruined because of it cuz at the end of the day I want to experience for myself like how this story unfolds and how it wraps up for all i know i could be i i, I you'll see me c- come back end of june and i'll be like man i'm so glad that yoshida and the team are so are are, are considering sequels because we need one for all for all i know i could be that dude at the end of june you know and like for final fantasy 15 it's not always you know sequels but also like the King's Glaive, that prequel oh, manga yeah. or whatever it was. It had a lot of like accompanying media that I'm actually like probably forgetting. Uh, and we're in that game specific case, it really didn't elevate the product. But in, if a, you know, if the foundation is good, it, the having those sorts of things, if that is in the cards, I'm not actually sure it is, um, could elevate the product. So a lot of this is just trying to, you know, we won't know until we experience it for ourselves whether what what this sort of sequel tease is or even if it is a sequel tease at all um what sort of potential there is for this universe this world of final fantasy 16 whether it is other games or other media so we might all we might all come back on in the end of june like you said and be like wow there's a lot of there's a lot of potential here i want to see more versus nope that was a really good standalone experience i'm glad we got what we got yeah um is there anything you want to like uh, point out james like in your time with it or in any of the stuff that you put up for ff16 because it's coming out in a few weeks so we're like you know less than a month away from it however really coming down to the wire on i'm FF16 assuming release. this is the last time we'll talk about it prior to the game's release unless we have some major media dump between i said like a, a, a demo the, oh right that's it. another good point yeah so uh i'll just state this and then i'll hand it back off to james uh yoshida did confirm that there will be a demo for this game that will carry over to the final release the demo is slated to be roughly two weeks before release which is like the week of june 8th ish or so yeah they're yeah, yeah. they were talking about it with a uh, four gamer mm-hmm. my bet is since that pre-launch celebration thing is on the 11th that's a little less than two weeks from launch but they might just drop it then Okay. No, but good point. We could we could have demo impressions that we all, and I'm assuming it'll be look very similar to what James played. Yeah. Yeah, and I do want to just stress, like, I might have been a bit more negative than I expected going into this, but I did enjoy my time with the demo, and I am excited to get my hands on with the full game. It's just like, I I feel like 
a lot of us maybe were super, super hyped heading in. So like getting a chance to actually sit down and play the game, some of that luster, I guess, just kind of wore off. Vertical so, slices yeah. of RPGs are hard. They just are. Like there, yeah, I, we, yeah. I've played plenty of demos of RPGs. Uh, the demo does nothing for me or very little for me. And then like, it's not really representative of the full game because it's so difficult because RPGs are a little bit more methodically paced and sometimes a, a couple hour demo, even if it's up to six hours, just doesn't quite convey that. So, I mean, yeah. dude, like, uh, like I played the Steam Next Fest demo of Ask Libra Revision last year, and like, I didn't really like it at all. And then, like, my my, my friend got like the full release. He's like, "No, you have to like fucking play this game." I'm like, "Really? I didn't really like that." He's like, "You gotta go fucking play it." And sure enough, I fucking fell in love with it at the full release. Like, that that demo really didn't do it justice at all. So you know, like, I I, I always kind of I I don't try to let like demos of RPGs completely like color my 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 entire impression like uh mm -hmm. moving forward because it like that 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 shit is hard man yeah. any other final uh final impressions or takeaways from your time with uh final fantasy 16 james i have no idea what's going to happen in the story and i'm excited <laughs> wow yeah yeah they, they 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 like the the trailer that they put out at the PlayStation showcase like uh, got me uh, pretty excited like that's uh, some Pretty good sound direction. Mm. Uh, a good uh, BGM choice for that. The, some of the lines are you know cheesy, but I thought I thought I I enjoy cheesy lines, especially out of context cheesy lines. Whether it's like a movie or a game, it was like this sounds funny out of context. Well, that's it, another it, it, thing. Like I talked about demos not being representative of the full game. Sometimes it's hard to judge. Like is the dub or the voice acting good or not when the lines are all out of context? Like all right, I'll, I'll save judgment on that front as well. I thought on the trailer they looked the the the, the at least I didn't watch the Japanese, uh, but the English one I thought the voice work came out okay in the trailer, which is usually a pretty good sign. I kill to survive. You do it by choice. <laughs> Maybe you thought less highly of it than me. I don't know. I, 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 I like I, I, if it makes you laugh. I mean, I, that means I'm enjoying it, right? It's not it's not like a dig at the game. It's like I I I, I kind of live to like have fun with that stuff like that. Well, thank you, James, for giving us your hands-on impressions. I know you've been kind of holding on to those uh, for a while. And finally, we are, you know, we're in the final marketing phase of this game that we've all been looking forward to as uh, one of our most anticipated of the year. Was it our most anticipated of the year? I don't even remember anymore. I don't know. <laughs> so that's a, that's a, a lifetime ago, it feels like. Mm-hmm. So a few other games have come out, and I guess I'll go into, speaking of Square Enix properties and um, sequel teases, a few days ago, or a few more days ago, if you had pre-ordered it, uh, I played through the the DLC of Forspoken. Oh, in Tanta, hell yeah. In Tanto We Trust. So, okay, this came out a couple days ago. Um, we've already spoken about Forspoken here on the podcast and here at RPG site. Um, we've spoken about it, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, if I uh, obligated to say this, the Forspoken's DLC does assume knowledge of the ending of the game. So if you haven't played it and you're worried about spoilers, skip to the next timestamp. Forspoken spoilers incoming. <laughs> yeah, there, there. You know, that's, there might be people that that uh, mind. Uh, but so I will start off with a few positive things. Um, so Forspoken, I think in general, to try to summarize our experience with that game. Like lukewarm, tepid, not terrible, fine. 
Um, but I think Chow was more negative on it than the rest of us. <laughs> so uh, Forspoken's DLC, it is a it's it's sort of a prequel kind of it how the premise of it is that Frey after the events of the uh of the base game follows a mysterious voice into the past where she inhabits the body of another character from the uh, I don't remember if it's a hundred years ago or a thousand years ago from the time where the Tantas the main you know matriarchs of the of Athia were you know on the side of good and it's I will I'll state this that at the end of the game, you learn that Cuff, that character, was actually like a reanimated demon from the Reddigs that were basically attacking Athia and drove all the Tantas mad. And he was basically stringing you along the whole time, which I think a lot of people kind of predicted um, and thought was a bit hammy. But I do think, to state a positive, the fact that by the end of the Forspoken, you're still attached to Cuff even though he was the antagonist of the game and kind of have this like uneasy alliance with him. I actually think that is kind of an interesting premise. It's, a, it's an interesting duology to have like the antagonist of the game that you're not friends with still attached to your arm. And the only reason he is going with you at all is because he has no other choice. So I do think that that premise is there's there, there is potential there. Um, so you're in you're in the past in the, the body of I'm actually I'm actually blanking on the name of the character, which is a not not a good sign of my memory. Talia. Be, Talia that's it. Good. Thank you. I will say that this this DLC. Nice save. Thank you. <laughs> I this, would this, never this, guess. This DLC takes about 90 minutes to beat. It's not that's oh, so oh, it's shit. like it's, it's it's a flash in the pan. So that's my excuse for not. For not okay. How, how, how much is this DLC? Is it is a standalone? Or did you have to get like a like a standalone expensive edition of the game? Twelve dollars fifty cents. Oh, oh okay. I guess that's. To be fair, I did I did not exhaust the DLC. I just kind of did the main story. It took about ninety minutes. Okay. Uh, so you partner with uh, Tanta Sinto, who you learn is Frey's mother. Um, who you inhabit the body of Talia. So it's like Frey's memory and you know personality in the body of another character. Like for instance, Sinta will see the, this person not as Frey but as Talia. So that's the premise. And then basically, Talia ends up being captured by the red eggs who are like Athia's sworn enemy. I will say that I haven't did, I haven't dove into the archives much, but why these people are antagonistic towards Athia, it's not clear other than they're trying to summon this demon who we learn is Susurus slash cuff to, to destroy Athia. Why? I'm not, it's not made clear. So it's the storytelling is very hard to parse at times, at least the motivations of the characters. Um, so you you get these magic powder powers as ta as Talia. You're you're working with Tanta Sinta, and you're fighting against the Reddigs. That's pretty much the premise. I will say that the the playable space of this DLC is much more well scoped for the compared to the base game. The base game and Adams talked about this just like a week ago or so when comparing it to Tears of the Kingdom. You have this giant map with tons of objectives that is way too big for the story that it has going on. It's a lot of emptiness. It's a lot of nothing. It's a lot of wide open spaces. It's kind of like not the best implementation of an open world map in this DLC. The DLC is short. The area is not that big, which actually feels appropriate. I'm not saying that as a criticism. I'd rather have an area that's more well scoped to how much content there actually is rather than just bloating it out with tons of map objectives. So I actually do think it's quite well scoped. However, I will say that it's 
it's very like I said, the fact that I said this is 90 minutes long kind of tells you at a high level what you need to know is that this is very bite sized. It doesn't do a whole lot to elevate the base game in many ways. I think you only I didn't again, I didn't like comb the corners of the map, but I you only have like five different enemy types that you fight. You fight like a spear dude, a bow dude, a wing dude, a mini boss and the final boss. That's kind of it. Like the, the enemy variety is not very high. You only have one school of magic now. So you don't even have like the variety of the different magic elements that you had in the base game. You don't, nothing carries over from the base game. And as far as I can tell, nothing carries back. It's a standalone. How do you option. access this DLC? Uh, it's, I accessed it from an option in the menu where it's just like you pick it and it takes you to a different start menu specifically for okay. the DLC. So very similar to like um, Xenoblades. Okay. But but I, I think I read on Steam that you can access it from the base game if you uh, go to a certain location of the map. But I don't know if that really changes anything because you don't carry over any of your abilities or levels. I was actually wondering going in, I did not like I kind of mainlined the base game of Forspoken as well. Didn't didn't really like learn all the spells or upgrade them all with all the different challenges. I was wondering if that was going to put me at a disadvantage with the DLC. Answer is really no. You get your you get a new spell set. You start over at level one. It's all completely separate. And then once you clear it, you go back to the base game, and all that carries back over is like your archive entries, your codex entries. So it's very it doesn't really interface with the main game much at all. It's kind of treated like a separate thing. Um, the you fight basically the the main antagonist of the DLC is kind of a a general from Reddig, or I don't I hope, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. But the, the the enemy forces from the base game, and he is kind of a a nothing character. He he his his whole goal is to use human energy, soul power, whatever, to revive the demon that you that you know from the base game is Cub is Susurus. You fight him. You don't manage to stop him. Uh, basically, the events of the prequel are what they are. You already kind of knew what was going to happen based on the events of the main game. However, here's something I wasn't expecting, is that you end up going back to uh, present day. So Frey in Athia after the events of the game and the mysterious voice that led her to the past. Frey is asking who are you? Why do you send me there in the first place? What is going on? And she based this mysterious voice basically answers Susurus, the antagonist of the first game, is actually just an entity of a much higher power. I am one of the Tantas of Reddig. You should come to me and I will tell you all the things that you don't know yet. It's basically a very blatant sequel tease. <laughs> <laughs> which can which can which which considering like what happened to Luminous Productions, which is obviously still uh, operating. No. Sequels are never coming out. Yeah, it's so and I don't even know, like not only is it like a sequel tease that is a bit weird to read in the context of Forspoken's reception and Luminous Production being merged back into Square Enix and the Luminous Engine. I don't know if they're gonna continue to support that, et cetera, et cetera. But it's not even like that good of a sequel tease. It's like so the one of the main crux of the stories of the of Forspoken was that was these tantas, these the matriarchal figures that that are basically like the shepherds of Athia. The whole thing is like, ah ha ha! There are also tantas within the enemy faction, and one of them's helping you and wants you to uh, be ready for this even greater threat. It's almost like a, if you played Infamous, like how the lead into Infamous Two was. I'm not even mm. sure if, if that's even what they're going for because. 
I didn't play this, but I did watch a friend like stream the DLC. Mm-hmm. Um, one, I can't believe they didn't just change that ending cutscene because they had an easy way to just like wash your hands of the whole thing. Nah, dude, and, I I like no, 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 this no, no, commitment no. to the bit. <laughs> But they, what they could have done since in the past, and to be clear, Sus is with you. Cuff is with you in the past in that upper body. Mm -hmm. Basically, the end of the prequel is him getting like, I guess, revived or whatnot. They could have just had it been that since he was there in the past, he's no longer with you in the present. Now that you've uh, come back to the present, they could have just done that. There is a bit of weird timey-wimey stuff because Cuff is, like I said, he's still like antagonistic towards you in a way. He's like, wow, it was really interesting to see the moment of my rebirth. It's like, oh, okay, but then you know that we stopped you in the base game, but you're still here, I guess, because reasons. And I guess we're going to go to your your whoever birthed you because apparently you're just like a spawn of some higher power. So that's why I said, like, it's sort of interesting that this antagonist is still with us, but also strange. But also, and, who knows if they'll ever follow up on this? Yeah, that's very Enix Cuff Luminous, Luminous Productions for Forspoken Crimes. Yeah. And then that's the, that's the, that's the, how that unfolded. I, that is really funny that they had, like, the gall to have, like, a sequel tease. I'm sure this is all already done in development when Forspoken came out, for sure. Mm-hmm. Like it's just, just it's just one of those things. It's like they have like the vision in their heads. Like, oh man, people are gonna fucking this. This game's gonna fucking sell gangbusters, and people are gonna like will love this DLC, and they're gonna want it more. Like, like this was all in their heads before like pre release. Like this pre released, right? It's like people are gonna be so excited, so excited. <laughs> I feel so bad, but at the same time, it is so funny. <laughs> so I don't. That's that's weird. That's weird. <laughs> and there's not really a lot. Like I said, this DLC is pretty bite sized. So there's really not more meat on this bone to poke at. I will say the music's good. Uh, Adam was telling me that he was looking at the credits, and I guess Sakuraba's credited on it. I'm like, oh, that's that's oh, wow. interesting. Yeah, oh. I didn't I, I didn't pick him up like orally, so it's he must you know sometimes he you can kind of just tell based on the instrumentation that Sakuraba. I didn't quite grab that. Uh, the final boss even though, you know, you'll be at him in 90 minutes or so, was was a pretty good fight, a uh, pretty good, like, spectacle and some good backing vocals to that. So I thought that was, it was it was fun. It was only about, you know, in five this, minutes uh, at the end. Uh, the, one of the things they were, like, um, showing off, like, the, like the, the brief times they showed off this DLC is, like, you have, like, a partner character with you, you have, like, a spray's oh. mother with, with you. Like, I, I guess I'm that. Asking like, are there like significant like gameplay changes, like the flow of combat? Did it feel any better to like platform uh, um, compared to the base game? Instead of it's it substitutes part of the base game. So in the base game, you have your I forget that I forget the actual in game. You have your right hand magic and your left hand magic, and then you can every once in a while hold both triggers if you're playing with a controller to do like the fusion magic. It kind of replaces that. Where instead, and it, it unlock it unlocks actually fairly late into the DLC. Uh, you know, late into a 90 minute DLC. What does that mean? I don't know. Uh, but uh, you basically, you'll you'll be fighting a mini boss who. Uh, has like a shielding on it and you have to build up a meter with your partner character. You have like a little UI in the lower left of your screen that as you attack and defeat enemies and deal damage, this meter will build up. And then once it builds up, you press a button, defaults to up on the D-pad where Sinta will come in, like destabilize the boss and then do a finishing blow. 
and then you can do this with regular enemies as well. Your left-handed magic will crystallize enemies, and then you press a button, and she'll come in and do a finishing blow. It's not bad, but it's not, like, too interesting. It's basically just, like, finishers that incorporate the other character. Um, that's kind of it. So in the base game, if you knock down an enemy, you can press Y to do, like, your stab on them and recover some health. It's sort of like a substitute of that. Instead of jumping on the enemy and pressing y to steal some health you press y to see Sinta come in and do a sort of flourish and i will say as much as we kind of talked about the luminous engine kind of disappointing and not feeling quote unquote next gen a lot of the particle effects in this dlc with Sinta coming in and doing her magic are pretty nice at least if you've got a computer that can um play it at a decent frame rate uh so i will say it visually looks pretty good not 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 stellar but pretty good and and some of the visual flourishes are quite nice but in terms of like how it impacts the gameplay, it's it's more flavor than substance having Cynthia there. Uh, it feels a lot like having the um, the ally abilities in 15, which might make sense in terms of okay. pressing, a button, yeah. pressing a button and you see a little five second combo thingy that does damage. So we come full circle. It's just FF15 deals. <laughs> and I know and I know that I'm biased. Like I'm immediately thinking of that because I know who the developer is and I played that <laughs> game. Like like there are there are probably a ton of other similar games with similar examples that don't have the same pedi- uh, like pedigree or whatever that because it's you know it's nothing novel or new having like a team up attack in an action game. But that's just all it is. What would you like to see out of Forspoken too? Uh this is gonna I'm, gonna, I'm gonna be like called a mark for this, maybe. But if somehow, some way, the stars align and Forspoken uh-huh. is followed up on, uh, I'd like a story that is complete and well paced, beginning to okay. end. Because in because in, in the base game, like it has this pretty well paced story up till the first Tanta Silas, the fire one, I believe. And then after that, it just feels like, oh, crap, we're running out of road. We got to finish this game up. And you just blitz through the remainder of the game. Like, uh, so, I guess, yeah. so, so I guess you could say, you know, like Luminous Productions left the door open for a sequel, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> I'd like to. And then, like I kind of said, like there, there was no, in my opinion, there was no need for Forspoken's world to be as big as it was because it was just empty and boring and samey. Like less is more if it's. Like that's that's kind of like less is more complete story. Keep the pacing throughout. Don't make it obvious that you've run out of road and like, oh, crap, we got to wrap this thing up because we have to ship on this day or whatever. Uh, And I know that's kind of like very general and it's easy to make those criticisms and you're not a game developer. But those are the sorts of things where those those are my two biggest hang ups with Forspoken, the 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 uninteresting world and then the fact that the story falls out it's it wasn't it was never stellar but it had some promise and then falls out after the first tanta encounter i did play one other game i'm assuming we're yeah closed i mean, on I mean I, I, unless you want you have more to add i mean uh, i really free. don't it's yeah there's there's not a, like i said the that that bone is there's not a lot of meat on it but um i did play another game that i had mentioned a week or so ago that was coming out in late may that i said you know what i'm interested in this and i'm going to try it and that is Miasma Chronicles. So this is very much a game that I grabbed kind of on a whim. It's from the developers of Mutant Year Zero, a game that I've never played. It takes place in post-apocalyptic America, which is a setting that is well-worn. But I don't know. Something about this game, just I watched a few trailers. I watched some of the marketing. I you know looked at some of the art. And I'm like, you know what? This seems kind of interesting. I will try it. 
Uh, I have no history with Mutant Year Zero, so like people who have played that game can probably point at my Ethnic Chronicles and see exactly where it's copy pasted or exactly or how it's different. Um, but I will say I've only put in maybe about two or three hours, so these are very much like initial impressions. I, I will say uh, so. Set up the premise. You it starts out in post post apocalyptic America in Kentucky or what's left of Kentucky. The main character's name is Elvis who is like a boy who's about maybe 16 or 17. He's trying to open up this gate of miasma. Miasma, it's kind of like, it's both described as like a fog, but also it's like almost like particles. Like it, it almost looks like a, it's like a techno-based. Have you ever seen a uh, Big Hero 6, like the, the microbots that the kid invents or whatever? It kind of looks yeah. a little bit like that. But of course, it's it's very clear that you don't know what miasma is and you're not supposed to know it early on. Like actually, like the whole world is trying to figure out what the hell it is. So Elvis, he has like this power glove and he's trying to open up this miasma wall, but he fails. His, his glove like burns up. The wall pushes him back. He's repelled and he's like, damn, I got to go back to town to repair this. The, the two characters that I have so far are Elvis uh, and his robot companion brother, whose name I'm blanking on. I, apparently I just blank on names. Uh, I think his name is like Biggs. Let's see. My Asthma Chronicles character. I'm going to Google this. Uh, I, I suck at names, too. Don't ever ask me for a character name. I'll be like, I'll, I'll just say yes. Diggs. I, I just it's not Biggs. It's Diggs. Yeah. For me, it's like <laughs> I, I remember the character archetypes more than like, oh, what is their actual name? So Elvis is very he's very much got protagonist energy. Um, and then Biggs is like the his snarky older brother. But his but it, but it's a robot. It's like a sentient robot of some sort. So these are two characters. Um, they go back into town. And you learn that your Elvis's mother left this this kind of the safe haven a while ago and is encouraging, you know, Elvis to to chase after her because she basically she has she had something more important that she needed to do regarding the miasma. And you're basically like, well, I want to I don't want to be stuck here in this mining town uh doing nothing and progressing nowhere. I'm going to chase after you. But in order to do that, I got to get through this miasma wall, which I don't know how to do. Uh, I will say the like, first impressions of this in terms of like art, sound design, voice acting is all quite good. This game for being an isometric game is really quite pretty, which might be interesting to say for like a uh, post-apocalyptic game with a setting that is kind of well-worn, but it's it runs... Like I've seen some issues, some people report performance issues on PC. I'm doing okay. Maybe I'm just brute forcing it with with my GPU. But in terms of like, the voice acting is really quite good. The game is really quite funny. Uh, the the premise in terms of, like the how quickly information is doled out to you, like it's 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 not quite in media res, but it doesn't do a whole lot of like. Um, just monologuing or in terms of like setting up the premise, it lets you learn just by talking to characters and uh, kind of gleaning information from, um, sorry to say this, but environmental storytelling and things like that. <laughs> yeah. He, he said it, environmental storytelling. Well, some people roll their eyes at that statement. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> yeah uh, but I do just, the, the game is actually just quite fun just to like listen to in terms of, like, for instance, you're, you're in, you go back to town and you come across, like, if you just wander, it tells you to go to, the, like, the mayor's office right away. But I, of course, you know, wandered around first. And you uh, you come across, like, this broken car. This broken car is not immediately flagged as, like, a point of interest or anything. But as you walk by it, Elvis will say, 
It was an it was an accident. It wasn't my fault. And uh, Diggs will say, "I didn't say nothing, man." So basically, it implies like he was responsible for that wreck, uh, but with without having being too overwrought about it. And then later in the story, you encounter a character, part of the main narrative, who basically says, "Like I ain't helping you. You crashed my car." And I'm like, "Aha! That's where oh. this ties. That, that's that's where this ties in." So it's kind of you know, there's little clever bits like that. There's another little clever bit where they're talking about how they're running out of resources. Uh, it's post post apocalyptic, of course. And you're at like a, a bartender, but they're out of beer. He's like, "I miss beer. Like we ran out of beer four years Me ago. Me too. We we have done oh, that." And, and then uh -oh. later, and then and then in the same conversation, he's like, "I also miss my wife." And then Elvis hey. is like, "Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't realize she passed. Oh, she didn't pass. We're just divorced." You know, just stuff like that. <laughs> Where it's like, all right, I get it. It's a little bit clever. Um, some For some people, it might be a little bit too jokey, silly. Mm -hmm. uh, but I don't know. I think it's well-paced. And it's little moments like that amongst more like standard fair, grimdark stuff. There are, there are ways to like have humor in games still and have it be like, you know, implemented yeah. in a classy way instead of like trying to do the fucking mm. Josh Sweden style. Wink at the camera. Yeah, so this is, a, this is an isometric game where everything progresses um it's real time until you encounter uh enemies so it's, it's like uh i use the comparison like wasteland 3 or xcom and whenever i compare something to xcom i always feel like oh, there's got to be a better way like everyone everything just compares turn-based tactical rpgs to xcom however i was looking at like the store page on steam for mutant year zero and the developers themselves call out xcom and then apparently this game follows a lot of the same trappings as Mutant Year Zero. So I'm like, all right, maybe that comparison is valid. Uh, but and it does have a lot of the same trappings if I describe the gameplay at a higher level. As soon as you encounter um, enemy units, it goes into turn base. You can count. A, you can move either of your party members um, in either order. You've got a number of action points where you can move a certain distance and then uh, engage an enemy if you're within range. Depending on where the enemy's positioned, you have a certain percentage chance of hitting them. Uh, so very, very kind of very typical stuff in terms of a tactical RPG. And it's not it's not bad, but it's where I will say, like, I was more impressed by the game's visual flair, sound design, music, even voice acting and narrative. And then the gameplay is just more very, very standard. It's fine. It could be that it's just like Final Fantasy 13 that it hasn't quite doled out all the systems to me yet, though. It just it just seems like, oh, I'm, I'm whelmed by the tactical RPG aspect of it um, a little bit. But it's 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 not bad. It's just it's just fine. It's just standard fare. I will say that at the beginning of the game, not only do you have a difficulty selection, you also have a selection where I believe the two options were called light tactical and full tactical. And light tactical, it says in its little thumbnail for what the selection means is like if you flank an enemy, you will have a hundred percent chance of hitting them. Full tactical says there is just basically more RNG. I'm like, huh, that's just an interesting way to describe that. More more RNG that's means, funny, more, means, like more, that. means more tactical. <laughs> so I, I, I have to pick like tactical. I'm like, all right. Like, I pick normal difficulty in terms of like enemy health. Like tactical, like, all right, if I flank an enemy, I, I want 100% chance to hit them. But I do like having the option because sometimes having RNG chance, you know, anyone who's played XCOM or Fire Emblem or whatever, sometimes having that, you know, sometimes you just got to, roll with the punches in terms of if you have a high chance of hitting and you miss oh okay do i have a contingency in place or whatever uh what do you mean this 99 percent chance of point blank shot completely missed the enemy yeah. what are you talking about yeah so, so i so i picked light tactical so i could uh so i could avoid that i suppose um i forget if i forget if you can change 
mid save or not. I think you can, but don't quote me on that. Um, I will say that exploration is actually pretty fun so far. And the game, the game truly is like, it's not, you know, we always talk about like the, the fringe between tactical game and tactical RPG. I will say that this does seem to fall clearly on the side of tactical RPG. You level is up, this, you have- Is the exploration have... stuff like completely isometric as well, like the battles? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, if you're, so if you're not in battle, then everything's just in real-time exploration. Uh, and it, it, it's done pretty well. You can rotate the camera 360 degrees, like so you, you're not in a fixed orientation. Okay. It's, it's always top down, but you can kind of rotate and swing it around. Mm -hmm. um, if you're like inside of a building, the camera does do a lot of smart, like if you're, if you enter a room that has walls on three of the sides, it will like give you a viewport through the walls. Like it, it, it like cuts a transparent it uh, yeah. wall, basically. Right. It cuts it away. If you see a staircase yeah. or like vines that lead up, it'll very smartly like change the perspective. So you see the floor that you're currently on in terms of like the Z axis. And that to me, it's one of those things where I feel like that could go unappreciated, like having like, that sort of perspective, but having you have like full degree of movement, including like in that axis, probably kind of difficult to make sure that you always have a clear view of where your character is and what's around you. But so far in my time with this game, it's done pretty well. I've never been like, crap, I can't see where I'm going or like, sh or shimming around the camera to get a good look. It's just, it's just, it's just worked. So that I do think is done pretty quite, quite well. Um, I will say that exploration, even though like the, the act of exploring is carried out pretty well so far the rewards of exploring are a little bit limited they're not bad they're just kind of they're fine like I'll, I'll find like a locked door i'll explore around and then in the next screen i'll in a tucked away i'll find like a key card and then i'll come back to the locked door i'm like aha i found you know I'm proud of myself i did this and you'll go in and it'll be like a single grenade which like maybe that's useful maybe grenades are super useful in this game but it was just in at the time it was just like oh that's what i got for this okay i guess i'll file that away as job well done um do you have a sense of like how long this game is like or do you not know like you just, you i just, I, uh... I have no idea i'm only like three okay. hours in um i i looked at a developer stream and they said 30 to 40 hours so i'm oh, gonna okay, guess well. i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna guess that means 20 to 30 hours because you know how it is mm -hmm. uh, but uh and that seems like, like I, I'm not sure a game like this I'd want to be much longer than that. So the last time, the most recent game that I've played that has the feeling like this is Wasteland Three, which is what 2019. Yeah, yeah, I, I figured you're gonna say that. I was like, and then <laughs> I did, I, I did play XCOM uh, Enemy Unknown back in 2012. You know, that was I'm like, damn, that was 11 years ago at this point. Oh, yeah, yeah, um, five lifetimes ago. And this feels more RPG-ish than that. This definitely, I was saying, um, yeah, it has like a quest log has side objectives um you can clearly explore off the main path i explore the you pull up the map and it has like the different nodes of like the the opening area connects to these other areas you zone into those areas and the, this main town um has openings into these four other areas there's different regions so the map seems quite vast but i don't know how quickly i'm going to cover that because some of those areas might just be little little regions that only take like 10 minutes to explore but it seems like like I don't I don't really have any concerns about this being too long or too short. But I guess I'll report back um, once I'm able to put more time into the game. One thing that it, that I do quite like is that uh, each area it'll say how many optional quests you can find in that area. Like in Kentucky, which is like the first region of the game, it says like there are these three side quests, and I'm like, oh, I haven't found any any of these three yet. So I wonder where I pick those up. So I do like that they just kind of explicitly list those out. It also lists like you found zero two treasures. Um, 
So, and those treasures, the, the ones that I found so far, just give you EXP. So that's kind of, you know, that's that's a decent in incentive, I think. It's like it's like a an unlisted side quest. So side quests give you EXP and supplies. Um, and so do like exploring and finding these treasures. The game does do, and this is a nitpick, the game does do one cardinal sin. And that is, mm -hmm. is that it, it has audio logs, which are well-worn, but fine. However, you can only listen to the audio log while you're in the menu. And I'm like, oh, come on. Like, I, I like it when games allow you to start the log and then just let it play as you as you play. Like, the, the log will just go as you explore. I, I really like that. I The fact that it's you have to be in the menu to listen to them just means I'm less likely to listen to them. Right. Even so that's I'm like, oh, come on. Like, it's not that big a deal, but I'm like, I always just feel bummed out when I'm like, all right, I started I started playing the audio log. Let me close the menu. And then the audio log stops. And I'm like, man, we're <laughs> we're from Valkyrie Elysium, man. I think about that game. And you just say that uh, uh, there were there were some other more recent game that had like audio. log. I think it was like one of the Tomb Raider games where you pick up different relics and the new Tomb Raider. Well, it's not new anymore. But Camilla Luddington or whatever will read out these different things that you find, but, but only if you're in the menu, I'm like, well, then I'm just not going to listen to these then. Uh, yeah. I, I will say that the premise it's, it's, it could potentially be very rote so far, but it does have some interesting ideas. So like post-apocalyptic, uh, obviously there's so only so many ways you can bake that cake, but it talks about how you find some audio logs from the before times, quote unquote, where they talk about how, they're going they're they found like, you know, they've solved the, the energy crisis and the waste crisis where now they have these farms where these like I think they sell like these bug farms where they 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 consume CO2 or the seaweed farms that will absorb microplastics and like, oh, they're like like there's like an environmental slant to it. But clearly something like that, clearly something went wrong, but it seems like they were on the cusp of solving these issues but somehow the miasma was formed instead, which I haven't learned quite what that is yet. And one thing that also kind of ties into that is that the currency in this game is called plastic. I was picking up things like plastic times 10, plastic, plastic times 30. I'm like, what is this? Is this like material for crafting? I'm like, oh, wait, no, that's just currency. That's interesting. Like bottle caps. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm like, oh, so, so, so I, my guess is that it has something to do with earth environmentalism of some sort some sort of uh some but sort what of does like, the game try to tell me really <laughs> but i really have no idea quite yet yeah, yeah. um that's I, I wonder i wonder if there's there, there's actually like some in-game explanation they'll give you down the line for that mm -hmm. i mean uh, fallout is pretty obvious but like why bottle caps are the currency yeah um and then there is there is this group of people called the first family who are basically humans that are in power they send out these drones called collectors to these different settlements to basically tax them. So and so and the, the settlement they started with is a gold mine, like literally mm -hmm. mining for gold. Uh, and they're one of the people say, like, why do we even support these? Like, what do we owe the first family? It's like, well, if we don't pay them, they're just going to put us under. They're just going to wipe the town off the map. We have no choice sort of thing. So like, what, what, what is the first family's, uh, motivation like how are they in, are they responsible for the miasma or are they just like um usurping it for their own gain i don't know yet uh so it, it does a decent amount of job a decent good job kind of setting up the premise setting up enough intrigue uh and I, you find like a bunch of decayed corpses in like an old ruin and elvis asks Diggs, 
I wonder if these are originals, like people who are from before Biasma are called originals. And like, huh, that's like an interesting that they consider them like an other species of sorts almost. So at this point, like everything I have past that is just kind of speculation. What's the difference between originals and humans that are inhabiting the earth now? Who are the first families? Why are they sending out these um, collectors to tax the remains of humankind? And it's possible that the answer to all these questions ends up being very banal and rote. But I don't know. I'm an optimist. I'm going to hope that actually does. So far, my initial impressions in terms of story, art, sound design, even music are all pretty good. The gameplay is fine. doesn't do anything to drag it down, but it's, it's just fine. But I don't know. It's, it was a... I, it's it's kind of fun for me just to have like a, a whim a, a whim purchase like this like i didn't get this code for review or anything i just went to steam and bought it and i'm like all right let me just try this out this something different and so far i'm I'm enjoying it cool uh, i'm really interested to interested to hear what you what would you think of it like when you're like late game or like after you played mm -hmm. the game see like if uh, where it all leads up to and whether you thought it was worth it or not uh, mm -hmm. that seems like an interesting premise that, I, that it's got going for it and I'm kind of, I I really want to see, I wonder if people are going to have like a, a YouTube video of like comparing the, what was it? Like the light tactical or the, the, and the full tactical. I, I hope I'm not misremembering, but yeah, you have an option at the front where I'm pretty sure they were called light tactical and full tactical. Which the yeah, I, I want to see like, was... I want to see like side by side comparisons mm. like uh, of that and like see like what. <laughs> I that just seems like a really funny concept of like more energy equals more tactical, like you said. <laughs> yeah, that was just like an interesting right. assumption. And people who have played this, played Mutant Year Zero, like that's the one gap I have is I have not played Mutant Year Zero. Some people might play my Miasma Chronicle and just like, oh, this is the exact same game under a different skin. I just don't have, I have no idea, so, like how similar or different that is. And then the last game that I have listed was a game that I had not heard oh. of until until Josh described it to me. Or at least I don't even know if he really described it. You just I didn't really understand it. You just you just you just told I... me the, the title of it, and then I googled it, and you're like, you probably have seen ads on mobile Twitter, and I'm like, I don't know if I have, and you're like, maybe that's just me. But anyways, the game we're talking about is called uh, Aether Gazer. Do you want to talk about this or not, Josh? Uh, sometimes I make like stupid mistakes like, like I, i'm a sucker for trying out new things something like there sometimes there are things that i'm like i'll just give this a roll for like maybe an hour or two because i like knowing like what's new what's uh, what's going on sometimes so I, I remember looking up footage of this game like a year ago or so because this, this game came out in china it's a mobile game it's a mobile gotcha game um, it's one of those action RPG Bayonetta-like action RPG mobile gacha games. I'm just sticking on more and more terms onto that. Um, and I was like, okay, I guess I'll give it a shot. I don't know. Uh, and this uh, recently, uh, I th I think it's being published by YoStar over here in the West. So. They're the ones who do, you know, arc like they, they don't develop it. They're just a publisher for it. Um, they uh, they do arcs, uh, arc nights, uh, mahjong soul, Azerlane, you know, those other titles like that in the mobile space. Um, and I, I was pulling up I, the uh, Apple App Store page trying to find yeah. a publisher or developer. Developer Yo Star Games. I don't know if publisher right. is the same or not. 
Yeah, there's a, like a, yeah, in the Google apps like it's like you'll start limited and you'll start against. I don't know what they're right. I don't know what they're doing. There's like it's kind of like miHoYo and HoYoVerse. I don't know. Right. It's so stupid. Anyway, <laughs> um, so I I downloaded it, gave this game, uh, you know, opening hours. I was like, okay, this is pretty cool. There's like your standard. You have this team of three that you you go on uh, go into stages with. Uh, you have your standard like uh, attack uh, uh, move set. You have a dodge. Um, the dodge is interesting because, uh, like, uh, like in Bayonetta and other action games, you can like dodge at any time and uh, to to cancel your attack strings uh, in it. And and it's pretty uh, it's pretty loose and liberating with the way that like uh, your dodge works. It's not like um, other games where you like you press dodge and like your dodge is like locked out for like two seconds or so, and like that just feels shitty. This one is like the dodge works where like you press the dodge and then like it goes it has like a circle that continually refills and if you expand that whole circle then it goes to a lo- longer cooldown so you can continuously dodge as long as you stop like so that circle meter and it it refills pretty um pretty fast uh, as you're dodging as well and um you're rewarded uh by like uh sort of like slow down which time uh, if you uh manage to dodge a, an attack at the last second and then there's there's like you know everyone has like different like dodge skills that like work work off of this. So like one person's dodge skill, um, for you know dodging things correctly in that game uh, might work uh, might give you different modifiers and uh, uh, buff enhancements uh, opposed to like another character. And this this works off of like your whole like team of three. What's interesting about um, this team of three is like you're not actually controlling all three of these characters at once you're only care uh controlling one character and the only like direct control you have over your other your other teammates is like if their uh ultimate skill is up you can like tap on their icon uh to for them to fire it off uh in the middle of combat but like the ai is surprisingly competent and like can fend for themselves and like are pretty v- vicious so like that like i have two characters that are, like are very good at like um free like one freezes enemies and one kind of locks them like uh, in time so like there's a lot of like skills that they have where like there's basically um phases of like the fight where like the enemies can't do anything based on like what my other ai partners are doing so you have like this basic attack string this dodge you have an ult then you have like uh three three skills that are like unique to each character and the way that each character handles i, I don't know if it is for a lot it is for like the rare, uh, uh, lower rarity characters because I'll I'll be the first to admit, like I got really lucky in this game with my initial pulls. Like they gave you a good amount of like uh, currency, free currency off the bat to go do your initial rolls. So like, um, but like within like the first thirty rolls from like the standard banner, I got like two of the really 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 good like. Uh, max rarity characters one is uh one character's name is asura her gimmick is like she has like uh her weapons are like levitating fists uh that that like she um she can like even though she looks like she's like a melee character she's really good up close she can actually target off like far off enemies by like throwing punches into like a, a void dimension that like pops up near her and then pops up near the enemy so like there's like you're like throwing fists at them from afar and like uh her, she has skills where she can like group enemies together 
and she has a, a unique mechanic where she can like uh, hold in her attacks for like a bigger uh a unique attack for that that's basically a charge attack isn't there some it. anime or some other game where like a character like sends their punches through portals to punch enemies like like it's ringing like a bell like at the fringe of my brain but i can't I'm quite ask seattle now that you've mentioned it, it's like yeah probably um <laughs> yeah um yes probably i can't think of it right now it's uh, gonna scream out uh, I, will, I will rack my brain and blurt it out if it comes yeah me. yeah if you remember it spit it out because that'll bug me the whole episode now too because i'm like what is that I, I that sounds so familiar um and what do you call this and she, uh this character also has like the unique skill uh like mechanic for her skill set. oh I, th- I thought of it but it's really dumb it's far dumber it? than i remember it's from the janemba dragon ball movie where like <laughs> okay, janemba, like right. through... I, I remember that now all right all right <laughs> sorry for it. my for my <laughs> stupid okay, please continue <laughs> that's awesome and, and this character has you the unique mechanic where like her skills work were kind of like on an active reload where you do one skill and it starts to, uh, it, it brings up a meter and it starts going down and if you manage to fire off another skill it'll it'll reset that meter and that'll start going down so it's kind of, it's kind of like you're kind of uh fit in as many skills as you can um within that meter but then if you want to like get a good like rhythm of skill like firing off skills going you have to kind of work around like your skill cooldowns because you have to remember every time one of your three you use one of your three skills their cooldown timers will start popping up. So you have to, if you want to maintain like a good cadence of like getting the bonuses from this like kind of like active reload state, you'll have to kind of like time your skill rotation and cooldowns, kind of keep this momentum going. And that's just for that character alone, like these mechanics. Um, one of the other um, really good characters that I got from the standard banner was like an ice mage um, that, that has like a really good like AoE freeze in place and like. She's like kind of your standard mage character that like enters like a like a like a dream mage stance uh, as you fire off more spells. So she's really really great for crowd control uh, and uh, and uh, range combat. And then the the other character that I got really really fucking lucky on is like a limited character that I got. Not only did I get her in her first ten ten pull, I got her two of her. So I got a dupe of her to make her even better. And she's like this a lightning samurai person um um and her she has a really cool mechanic where she has these three skills um and her first two skills what her first skill is like a like a forward thrust like a stinger from devil may cry and the other her her second skill is kind of like this um big like uh katana combo and like both of these skills place a thunder seal on enemies and her third skill uh, has a unique has the unique property of where like she it has like three stages, but the only way you advance through these stages for the big final third stage, which does a shitload of damage, is you have to hit enemies that have a thunder seal on them to instantly like refresh it to get to the next stage. And then, but, but if you hit them with this third skill, it'll take off the thunder seal. So you have to use one of your other skills before using another stage of that third skill to basically get another to wipe away another thunder seal from them at that at that second stage and then unlock the third stage so you kind of have to like be have a uh they're like a kind of like a, a skill ceiling to that of like getting a good cadence of maximizing dps with this character it's not just like a uh, like a a mindless like uh like uh, tap tap all your buttons and then wait for their cooldowns you kind of have to be wary of like 
uh, you know, do I have a thunder seal on the enemy? And that's just like for this character alone as well, like a unique mechanic. So like I do like the the variety in the characters that I'm playing. Admittedly, they're like all considered very, very, very good at this like you know state of the game. Um, so that's kind of like I was like, oh man, this game's really fun because these characters are really fucking crazy. Um, I don't know anything about the story. I it's like you're kind of your generic sci-fi story that I've skipped all the story cutscenes in mm-hmm. and all the dialogues. I don't I don't care. You know I'm there for the gameplay. It's kind of like my bayonetta fix. Um, the one wish that I had that everyone I'm sure wishes is that, that everyone wishes this got like a PC native client. I've been playing it on an emulator and on my mobile phone, and you know the the playing these kinds of games are never really that doesn't feel that great on them but if the gameplay is fun enough like in this one um i i uh, you know i i bear with it um it all you know but it this commits all the uh, all the um uh sins of uh, of your mobile god uh modern mobile gacha games you know this has like your your like a, like you know this has your battle pass or the the free track and the pre- premium paid track this has um you know the gacha banners of like uh, standard banners, limited banners, and then th- this one is kind of especially kind of devious because it has a third type of banner where, you know, like Genshin and Honkai Star, you have like a weapon banner. This one is sort of like that, but it is, it is, um, you can fuck it up if you don't, um, pay attention to what you're doing. And what do I mean by fucking up? So, like, the kind of like the weapons in this game, um, each each character has a weapon that they equip and that you can level up. You can limit break them as you level them up. Um, but you can attach like a like a, a thing called a functor to them, and they're kind of like Pokemon pets almost that give like uh, modifiers, All like the, the generic functors. F u n c t o r functors. Oh, okay. Yes, you you like that term, bud? I was trying to parse it in my brain. I'm like, I can't. How do you spell that? And then you spelled it for me. So I'm like, oh, okay, that's how. Yeah, it's just a functor, man. Okay, I hate saying it too. <laughs> um, and these, um, I don't know if you call them creatures or, I don't know. They look like little girls that you evolve like a Pokemon, but basically in their in the functor banner, um. You can choose the five star that you that if you get a five star from that banner, you can choose what five star you get again. And these each of these different five stars correspond to an element that can evolve to other uh, evolved um, new functors that give character exclusive specific bonuses. So what do I mean by that? So let's say. Like there's, I, I forgot what the elements are called in this game. So let's say, uh, for example, there's the elements of fire, water, wind, and earth. And in this, when you get to the functor manner, that you can choose before you roll. You know, it won't tell you this outright, which is kind of devious. But at the upper right corner of that screen, it says choose, you know, or functor or whatever. And like you can choose between. Fire, water, wind, or uh, or earth, and you can change these at any time. But you're bi- uh, but and you have to look at like what forms these um, functors turn into. So let's say like let's say I try to roll, uh, roll for 
Charmander. And you know, Charmander turns into Charmeleon, into Charizard, um, and so forth. And when you, if I if I were to roll for if I got Charmander from this banner, I can evolve Charmander either Charmeleon, and then this character would have uh, can only equip Charmeleon and get bonuses out of it, or I can evolve that Charmander to Charizard, and another different character will get like different bonuses out of it, and it's like kind of their exclusive functor, if that makes sense. It sounds like a branching evolution. Almost. Yes, yeah, basically. So you kind of have to do a little bit of like research before you roll on that banner to be like, okay, I have to make sure I choose like the the uh, correct starter for this to evolve them into the the functor that I want for my character. So my, that lightning samurai lady, I had to go pick like the the Sakura functor. Uh, manually from that banner screen, uh, because when I roll that five star, it still, it still, it still has the same five star rates of like one point six percent. So in the event, and like, and, and pity is at like seven seventy rolls. Um, so if I if I manage to get that functor, I have to make sure I I first I properly select that before I start rolling, and then once I get that, I have to evolve them into that. Uh, higher evolution for to then equip onto the weapon of my lightning samurai lady, and then she'll become like mega buff. You know, that's exactly what I did because <laughs> I'm because I was like, holy shit! And I, I haven't, I did not spend any money on this. I mean, it's, it's all been just like I've been getting very, very, very lucky. And I will fully admit that's part of the probably why I'm like, I did part of the reason why I'm enjoying this game a, a lot because I do big numbers of because of my really. I don't know how what I deserve what I did to deserve this luck. I probably am gonna be unlucky for the rest of my fucking year because of it. But I'm just like, man, this feels great <laughs> because uh, of this. And and then on top of that, there's like all these other ways you can um enhance your character. Like on top of like your know, your standard character level, getting to the cap, limit breaking them to get a new level cap, a higher level cap. And then same thing with the weapons, like I mentioned earlier, same thing, you have to level them up, limit break them for higher levels. Um, the the functors, you don't have to really level up unless you get dupes of them, but you don't really need dupes for like the higher rarity ones, uh, really. Um, and then there's other ways you, um, you could customize the character. Like, for example, there's like this sigil system for characters where there are like six like slots for characters to further um upgrade their like stats and functionality and their abilities like like god this is gonna be so fucking stupid to explain um think of like uh a a, a circle but surrounded by six hexagons so like uh, th think of like the center uh platform and then it's surrounded by six hexagons and like these are like the sigil slots uh for this thing so like from the starting from the upper left and working counterclockwise, it's like one, two, three, four, five, six. Um, and each of these slots, you can like uh, slot them in with any sigils that, sigils that you have. But usually, each character has like a recommended sigil thing that like the in-game um, interface actually tells you. It's like, oh, if you want like uh, like a good like economy for this uh, character, basically like a good like 
skill rotation cooldowns and like damage output for this character we recommend these sigils right so like so like say for my lightning samurai lady uh get like the lightning cutter sigil and like the the something fury sigil because they're they're both really good for her damage output her elemental dps and so forth and then you would think okay so i just slot in like and and like each of these sigils are like have like bonuses when you like equip three of them like it's like a, a three three piece set bonus um and you think it would be um like straightforward it's like okay like in, in slots one through three i'll just equip the lightning cutter sigils and then the other side for five six i'll just equip the the something fury sigils and then that'll be good but you would be wrong because you are not optimizing it because where each sigil is placed matters so you want the lightning cutter sigils to be at slot one slot three and slot five because those specific slots give you specific stat boosts like like plus attack and plus hp which are really good and have like higher um caps compared to if they were in slot two four or six because that gives attack and defense and their upper end is less than being in slot one three or five you know what i'm saying at a high level it sounds i mean this isn't the greatest comparison but it sounds a little bit like old orbit systems then they did they, yeah. did they did kind of in later games like starting with cold steel so like that it's the best comparison that i can draw from okay yeah yeah it's it's sort of like where like placement matters but it doesn't really tell you that until like you really start like reading into it and kind of doing your own research uh into it it's like okay that's fucked up and then doubly so because like each of these sigils like when you get a lightning cutter sigil like it'll actually tell you whether you got uh, uh like like you can't it's not like a, just like a universal sigil that you can place at any slot you actually have to wait for like the specific lightning cutter sigil for slot three to drop from a stage it's not like you have a lightning cutter sigil and you can place it at anywhere you have to specifically get like the lightning cutter sigil for like slot three or slot five to drop from a stage and then they have rarities of course which comes from three four three star four star or five star so you want to get a five star Ooh. sigil that you want in a slot that you want to put it in yes yes that's like a super late game and game stuff to like you know think about um and of course this has a stamina system and as you keep on going the stamina costs get higher and higher so if you want to play for a good bit you probably won't you'll probably like play two stages and be like okay i have no stamina unless i use like stamina items or currency to fucking refill my stamina and like the stamina timers take forever to like re refill so it's like and so it has that for it on top of that all these sigils are like kind of like the character level and the weapon level where you, you level them up individually and limit break them individually with other different currencies because character weapon and sigils all have different currencies as well there's like no universal currency um and another thing for characters that like to build them up is like they have like uh modifier lines that like um are like color coded and you eventually like you know gradually uh they're like they look like constellations on a map but they're not like constellations from like genshin or something they're basically like as you as you develop your character you unlock more of these like um nodes and you can and it's kind of like uh, modifying their playstyle like say one one like the blue line the the blue skills that form a line for um the lightning samurai girl focus on like um 
cooldown reduction, while like the red line for her will focus on like damage, uh, damage modifier for certain skills. Uh, and so forth, and you, and, but, but these are resettable at any point. Like that, like it's not a big deal if like you make the wrong choice for these. But it's like further customizing uh, the character. So what I'm saying is, like this game is like so fucking complicated, and like the way like yeah, and all of its systems like needlessly so with all these ter- all these terminology and things and shit like that. And like and you think about like I'm this. Sorry. I'm sorry. Just uh huh. Been listening to you talk about this mobile game for so long. It's like. Uh huh. Why, do, why does it feel like gotcha games? You need to have like, you need to take like a seven overlapping class. systems. Have the wiki up yeah. on a on a page on a second second monitor. Uh huh. And, and then think about this times three for like your main team, and thinking about like synergies and stuff like that, because there are some like um, ultimate skill chains. Like if you have certain characters to, in the same team, they'll do like. Uh, specific animations and uh, attacks together if you fire off their ultimates. And then you'll also, in the long term, want to have multiple of these because there are some modes that are like lock you out from like using a team that you use for what, one boss. You have to go to another team for like another boss and stuff like that. It's just one of those things that's like, it's fun to play, but it's character progressions are so fucked up. And I'm just like, man, this game's. It's like tickling my brain, like all the worst brain worms in my head. I'm like, I I don't know why like what captivates me to keep on playing this game. I don't know. It's like it's so it's so like I mean, it's, it's just not, it sounds like a puzzle fun. box basically. Like the gameplay is fun, but like everything outside of it is just like it's so stupid, but there's something like that I can't take my eyes off of it for for right now because it's just like it's like why does why did people design it like this? It's so it's so stupid and complicated and needlessly why does it have to be like this? Well, apparently there's something compelling about it. So I think, I, I, yeah, I think, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I, I would really like to see this game come out on PC, like a PC client for it, like ASAP, because this game would be like 10 times more fun if like I could play it with a controller and like on a big yeah. PC screen. Like it's actually like really fun. But once again, I admittedly, most of like a good chunk of my fun is because I got super fucking lucky <laughs> and like, like I have kind of have like a god account, um, yeah. Of course, of course, like if you get dupes of characters as well, there's like a whole separate system for the, for that to like upgrade them because you got dupes of them. They get they get powered up even more, and their rarity goes up too. If you like, so like your S character can go to SS or SSS. Even your A and B character can go to S and S, SS and SSS. If you get enough dupes of them, but obviously their stats and uh, aren't as good as like native. As characters and shit like that, I don't know, man. It's a, it's a fucking fever dream of a game. If you're if you have an itch to play like a decent bayonetta like game, but like a gotcha form, I don't, I don't know if this is the game. Honestly, it's like a, it's like a fun game for me for right now. It's scratching an itch. Um, I I I don't know if like Honkai Impact Third is there because I played Honkai Impact before, but like that game felt. It was not newcomer friendly. Like I'm not saying this is newcomer friendly, but at least it's like at the start of a new server. Uh, so like it's like in the start of a new game in a, in a region. So it feels like at least you're getting in, like at the you're beginning. The, you're, you're in the same boat as everyone else. Yeah, you're not like in like like year five of like an ongoing game where just like a fucking like ten thousand modes, and you're like, okay, cool, I'm fucking lost. I haven't really played another game called Punishing Gray Raven. 
that's you know also has like this action rpg system i can't speak to that i know they recently released a pc client for that game i'm like i don't know i'll just now that one i will say i I was saying earlier that i haven't seen ads for aether gazer but i have seen ads for punishing gray raven so okay no there you go so someone's someone's doing their job So well, thank you. Well, thank you for sharing yeah. your your I don't know brainworm experience with oh, Aether Gazer. I'm so uh, stupid. Nah. I mean, it's it sounds like like for those that are rule mechanic nerds and like to have all those like Adam Legs uses the term spinning plates. It has it has something going for it, but with the caveat of all the usual gotcha trappings, like you said. Yeah. Yeah. Well, with that. We've covered kind of an interesting gamut of games here in late spring, and we'll go into the news section of this podcast, which basically is going to come in three major chunks. We'll talk about, we talked about obviously Final Fantasy 16 at the start of this podcast, which had a presence in the PlayStation Show, the PlayStation Showcase 2023. We'll talk about some other RPG or RPG adjacent news that came out of the PlayStation Showcase. Uh, we also talk about the Marvelous event that was held also in this last week. And then we'll wrap up with uh, a few other things that came out alongside mostly release dates, uh, a few things like that. We'll start out with the PlayStation Showcase. And I think a lot of people were a little bit, my impressions based on just seeing response on Twitter, on social media, on some forums, is that they're really whelmed by the showcase, specifically in terms of first party output. In terms of a lot of PvP or games as a service focus, uh, Spider-Man 2, those that are interested in that game had a really good showing, and that was kind of like oh, yeah. Insom- I'm excited for it. Insomniac carrying Sony first party on their shoulders, uh, just having in- insane output over the last five I, years or so. Yeah, it's, it's just uh, Sony. Sony first party games in general have been like have had a really consistent like output, like like consistent like high quality output. Like mm-hmm. you know, not just Spider Man. Yeah, though you have like God of God War, of you know, Forbidden West. Yeah, Horizon. So you know, they've been having like a pretty good track record for that crowd. But I'm very excited for Spider-Man. I really enjoyed the first game. I enjoyed the Miles Morales sort of like side game. That was like I, I really liked the Miles Miles Morales stuff a lot in there. So what they showed was real looked really promising. Looked like a, it, I, I it, it kind of surprised me in in ways because I didn't think they were gonna have like uh, the 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 Venom suit for Spider-Man or the uh, what the, the symbiote suit from the get-go for it so that that looked really really fun to control and like obviously having the symbiote suit on spider-man you know angrier more moody peter if i get flashbacks of the fucking spider-man 3 raimi uh film yeah <laughs> and that makes me laugh um because that was that was short of fucking trip so yeah that, that that looks great and then one thing that i think was the highlight for at least a few people on staff was something as as far as i know was a surprise to almost all of us we weren't expecting to see, and that was our first real look at the upcoming Dragon's Dogma 2. I was now, a believer. Alex wasn't. I, I won. So Dragon's Dogma <laughs> 2 was actually announced last year during like the 10 years of Dragon's Dogma digital event. It was one of those things where it's like, nowadays, you cannot have an anniversary event without people going in expecting a tease for a follow-up. And it's almost like disappointing if it doesn't show up. And Dragon's Dogma 2 was having a celebration event for, or I should say Dragon's Dogma was having a celebration event last year for 10 years since the release of the original game that came out in 2012. 
But then at the very end, uh, the development studio behind it, Itsuno, um, Ikeno, and Suzuki unveiled that they had Dragon Saga 2 t-shirts and that the sequel was in development. And it was a very yeah, low-key announcement. Yeah. Like, that was it? Like, a logo on a t-shirt? Pretty much, yeah. That was it. And I was like, what the fuck? Come on, you gotta give us more. And... And we did not know when, if, how we would see it again. And turns out we saw it again at the PlayStation Showcase. It was a, it was a, an introductory first look trailer. This is our first time seeing the game in any capacity other than a logo, but actually showed a fair amount of cutscene gameplay, uh, a lot of stuff like familiar spells, familiar uh, animations. It looks very much like a sequel to Dragon Sogma Two, or sorry, a sequel to Dragon Sogma. Like it looks like for people who have been waiting for this. Like, I can't imagine I'm not as huge of a fan of, of the original game as, for instance, Alex Donaldson is. But I did think it was a really quality kind of surprising RPG with an interesting kind of gameplay loop. And I remember one thing due to the like Dragon Dogma Online, the how how that might have related to that deep down project work. But so people weren't quite exactly sure what Dragon Dogma 2 might look like. But in a fact sheet that Capcom delivered with this look and trailer, they very clearly stated that this is a single player rpg um action rpg and will still use the pawn system as far as i as far as can be described as it was in the original game so it's very much plays like dragon sagma which i think yeah. some people were concerned that it might have like more multiplayer component or i don't know if concerns the right word concerned curious maybe even wanting for it to have more of a more of a traditional multiplayer component rather than just like sharing pawns amongst your friends but it seems like that's not the case it seems like they're just taking the same Tact that the uh, that the base game had, where it's single player focused, that you can summon up to three pawns. Uh, I presume that the pawns can be shared amongst your your network friends, like they were in the previous game. Uh, it basically it's really like... interesting. Yeah, I I I, I would have thought they they would have added like I remember when the the first Dragon's Dogma came out. They initially it's not even Dark Arisen. Like one of the major complaints for that is like, where's the multiplayer? This feels like a game that's like would be amazing in multiplayer. And like, and people weren't really like. It took a long time for people to really warm up to the pawn system, and like, it, I I think it it truly didn't shine to like Dark Arisen, yeah. And that people were like, okay, the the pawn system is actually pretty awesome. Like, I've had friends like spend like hundreds of hours training up pawns to mm -hmm. troll people online. You know, if they like, they just do the dumbest shit in other people's games, uh, which is uh, really funny. And it's kind of just to see Capcom. And the development team uh, kind of doubled down on this. Like, they really want to preserve that Dragon's Dogma identity. That's the, the thing that mm -hmm. really distinguished it from other games. Like, it, they could take you know a more standard road of like including multiplayer and having and playing with friends, but no, they're like we're gonna keep it single player and we're gonna stay with this pawn system. And you know, and this is now built from the ground up with an RE engine like all their other games now, and looks mm -hmm. it looks great. And like, and when you see gameplay footage of that game it's all in-game footage and you see you just see people firing spells firing off arrows people hitting people with swords like Climbing you can tell by the way yeah you can tell you can distinctly tell like with the way that like the 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 gameplay trailer or the this trailer is like from the gameplay like it it looks and feels like dragon's dogma you see it's like yep that's Dragon's Dogma. And well, I you know like what, one, one, one of the spells after. they do is like the meteor shower, and yeah. it's like the same animation. Or some people might say like oh, that's lazy, but I'm like, nope, that's Dragon's Dogma. Like, like you you've got a good animation, you go ahead and reuse it. Like that's what it is. 
Yeah, I mean, like for me, I just like I just want a bigger and better Dragon's Dogma, and I don't want it to like change up too much. Like, obviously, you know, uh, there's gonna be a lot of uh, like enhanced improvements, quality of life stuff along the way to be expected from this game. But I don't want it to lose its identity as Dragon's Dogma, and I think this is a really, really promising showing for this game. And them just be it like like you said for the press release, being uh, just setting the record straight immediately, saying no, this single player. Um, even on their official website, it says number of players one. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. very clearly. Um, other than that, we don't really know too much. And he gave a, a like you know some very very vague like story bits elements. about the story. Like you know, the that, thing like, is, is like I love Dragon's Dogma. I can't really tell you much about the story because when I when I was playing that game, that was like the least one of the least important things to me. So I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, uh, does, like I remember Alex was actually digging through some like, oh, because of course the the press pack also included a bunch of screenshots. A lot of them are just like trailer cuts as well. And like Alex was saying, oh, like this is the southern region that we weren't able to access in the first game. Like I wasn't in that deep. I didn't like, like yeah, uh, yeah. But I, I was totally on board with things. Like yeah, like he, he's right about this. So I was I was also really deep in that Dragon's Dogma lore. Mm-hmm. Like you know, like uh, like me and my friends were like we we looked through the split trades. Like and they used a lot of like concept uh, unused concept art from the first game and like you see that in this game and it's like oh that's it really interesting that they're they're bringing back like stuff from the first like the, the almost like the development drafts in the first game that they couldn't include in the first game and the main this. thing being the uh like the beast race the cat race yes so yeah feature very prominently both in the trailer and in the key art so now so now that this begs the question it's like it, it's i think it was like during i forgot when it was like during the development talk i think at um what was the gaming convention the convention for developers uh, it was i forgot uh but they were showing like the like you know discussing the development of dragon's dogma uh in there and they showed some of like uh the drafts and some slides one, one of their one of the components that they were like wanted to include in the first Dragon's Dogma is eventually getting players to the moon in that game. And now we're like, yeah, now we're like in this, it's like, are they, are they going to fulfill that promise? Are they going to send us to the moon in this game? (laughs) You know, who knows? Who knows? But this is really, I'm, I'm so excited to know when this is coming out. I need to see more. I want to know more. Uh, what they showed was great, but I want to know more. Ah, oh, man, I'm I'm so excited for Dragon's Dogma too. They this is a strong first showing, like first real showing for that game. And as uh, as Josh alluded to, we do at the end of the trailer it says PlayStation Five, Xbox Series, and PC via Steam, but no release window. Which I think at this point it's like a first look trailer. I'm okay with that. Yeah, you know, let let it cook. Exactly, and uh, you know it's it's good that's coming out too. Every you know everything's coming out like you know, simultaneously all at once these days, unless you're like Square Enix. Um, well, because the know. original Dragon Saga, it took it a while to come to PC, right? Let me see yeah. when Steam release date. Is. It, it wasn't and then, until and then, like, and then it eventually came to Switch, which I forgot about. <laughs> right? Yeah, because you had the original Dragon's Dogma on PS3 and 360. Then you had the Dark Arisen, like kind of like not really expanded. It's like it's like a more expanded version of that game with additional content. It's kind of like the definitive version. Yeah. And that was still on, I think, PS3 and 360, and then didn't come uh, of like a few years later to PC, then Switch uh, a little after, if I remember that correctly. Yeah, PC on 2016, Switch, I believe, in 2019. Yeah, so it, it took a long... And, and along that way, you know, people were still kind of like, when's Dragon's Dogma 2? And they're like, nah, man, we're running Dragon's Dogma online in Japan until they shut it down, mm-hmm. like, a few years back. And it's like, fuck, man, are you going to bring Dragon's Dogma online here? It's like, nah, man, fuck you. It's like, okay. I would play the shit out of Dragon's Dogma Online for the record, but 
Uh, sure. I'm, I'm excited for this. Yes. And I think it's basically the, the trailer. It didn't surprise us, but I think in a way that's good. Like it looked like Dragon's Dogma. It felt like Dragon's Dogma. It's like, yep, this is what a sequel to Dragon's Dogma. I think it was more like its presence there but it was the biggest surprise. It's like, oh, yeah. this is here. Because I, I, I was being like a, a believer. I was like, maybe Capcom will show Dragon's Dogma. And I was just like, nah, don't count on it. I'm like, all right. Fair enough. And then, and then I got to dig it, Alex. A little, fuck you. Well, I did say fuck you, but you know, I felt good. We all felt good that day. The other major RPG news not really major news. I don't know. I don't know where I where I'd been. This uh, <laughs> one 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 RPG that also made a presence at PlayStation Showcase was Grand Blue Fantasy Relink, which of course has been a long-awaited title for both PlayStation Four and Five and PC. That you know, famously was originally slated to release what in 2019, and then went dark, and we we'd get like a tiny little snippet of news like every December at Grand Blue Fantasy Fest, and in some years we wouldn't even get that. But uh, I would say that it seems like momentum for this game has picked up again in the last 12 months. We had the uh, news earlier this year about side games really establishing their kind of overseas branches for marketing their titles in America and Europe. Uh, we got some more playable characters uh, with the um, uh, Narmaya reveal in January. And this year in this PlayStation Showcase, we got the characters uh, Zeta and Basaraga, as well as a new release window. So... With the most recent trailer for Grand Blue Fantasy Relink, it will release worldwide, winter twenty twenty three. Which and then and then they said the like uh, another you know uh, in Japanese outlets uh, they said they'll, they'll plan to showcase it again at around summer. I'm like, next time you showcase this, you need to have a firm date. <laughs> I think because you don't have much of the year left. You're going to show this again in summer, and you're planning to release in winter of this year. You know, logistics wise. It's probably a good time to tell us when you actually will release this game and actually like fulfill that release date. I made I made a joke that like the next time we're gonna see this uh, a trailer this game is gonna be on December thirtieth and they'll still have twenty twenty three worldwide at the end mm -hmm. of it. Yeah, you and the, the the English PlayStation blog also said more updates to come this summer. So we might. It seems like hopefully we're kicking off a not only like the ramp up to release marketing cycle for this game, but uh, a lot of the trailers, at least the last two, have come out in both English and Japanese at the same time. We've got the establishment of the overseas branches. It's uh, slated now for a worldwide release. So hopefully this is like kicking off more regular updates for this game, leading into, of course, the now slated winter release date. So I'm being optimistic. But of course, winter 2023 might mean, you know, winter can mean January, February 2024. But no, that, I mean, if you say twenty twenty three, you're fair from me saying it's like. Nah, there's 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 wiggle room there. Sometimes there's you say no winter. way. There's no way. There, there's no way. Say you winter twenty twenty. I guess I, I guess that's true. I guess that's true. They would have if they said this winter, then that might mean. Yeah, if you say yeah, you said right. this. Uh, yeah. All right, that's yeah. fair. If you you, you you said twenty twenty three, it has to be this year then. If you're saying that's true. so, it has yeah. to be like November December. All right, there. The, you, you hear that side games? It's got to be this year. I mean, it's look, man. This year. It's, it's gotta it's, be this year. It's in our it's in our banner of our of our Twitter. Uh -huh. so, so it's gotta be this year. And now the, the trailer itself uh, it showed a lot of footage mostly focusing on the two new announced characters, uh some exploration, mostly combat. And I don't know Grand Blue well enough to name these different characters, but um 
Catalina, yeah, just more uh, yeah. a few of the others. Just, uh, like a of, of another full fledged you know showcase of like the English voices in that game because mm-hmm. one of the things about the worldwide release is they're gonna have like a full you know English voice cast like they did with they did with Grand Blue Fantasy versus. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, hopefully, I I really wonder what when we finally get this game someday, some year, theoretically in our lifetimes. I really wonder uh, how well, what the final product is like. I plan yeah. on making it to winter. I, me too. You know, <laughs> but, but we don't know if we don't know if this game will be there at winter to meet us. That's the thing. Now, now the I'm going to say my normal thing here is that the the gameplay footage looks fine, but I do wish it like it hides the UI. I wish it didn't. That's my 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 usual comment on on that sort of stuff. <laughs> there is another like you know. Because obviously we didn't really mention on the on the uh, our draft here, but there's like another. We don't know if it's an, an RPG, but this uh, Phantom Blade Zero game that the PlayStation Showcase or PS5 and PC. We don't know if it's an RPG, but it it does look fucking cool. It comes from the Chinese developer S Game. I'm not too familiar with them. Um, I think yeah, I don't know much about S Game, but it it looks like kind of like almost like a Neo Sekiro. Uh, type of fusion that they have going on. Have you seen the trailer for this, Ryan? Uh, I didn't see the trailer. I saw some people taking the piss out of the way Kotaku described it. They're like, uh, PlayStation showed off another stabby Souls-like thing. I don't know, like, uh... But here, okay, I'm pl- I have the trailer up on a monitor right yeah. now. Yeah, it's clearly... I watched got- the trailer. Go ahead. Sorry. I watched the trailer, too, and it looks good, but... Uh, can- this is this is this maybe is going to sound wrong, but can one of these games that like Sony showcases from a Chinese studio actually release? I mean, the, uh, like, um, fuck the there was a, there was some of these that released, right? The uh, fuck what was it? Genshin Impact wasn't part of the China Hero Project. There was like another one that was part of the China Hero Project. Fuck, what was it? Well, there was that point those fans. It's like so many of these games have been showcased over the last like five six years, and it's like. Well, I remember How there are those have actually released. Oh, oh, okay, yeah, Anno Mutation M was uh was part of it. Was uh, it? Yes, that's good. That's uh, good. Fist Forge of Shadow and Shadow Torch that was part of the China Hero Project. Hardcore Mecha. So some did, of these five projects did release for the China did, Hero Project. Did Lost Soul Aside ever release? Not yet. Not yet. And and then no. also the one I was interested in was AI Wukong. Limit. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. The Wukong game hasn't come out yet. I think. I remember hearing some un- like unfortunate things about that development team. All right. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, we'll see how that pans out. Mm-hmm. But yeah, but the 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 main point is the, the Southeast China Hero Project. Um, it, uh, games have come out. It's just like not all of them, even though after all this time, I think they are also starting another one of these in another region. Is it? I don't want to get this wrong. Um, was it India? When I look at the specific, uh... yes, India, India Hero Project, and they are starting that up for that region, which is you know, I I, I kind of like these initiatives that Sony. Yeah, is the initiative, the initiative yeah. is good. Yeah, I will say that uh, whenever I watch this footage of, or even like play games like, um, Wolong or Neo, or watch this footage of, uh what was it called phantom blade zero like man i should just play sekiro like that way i have the point of comparison when people ever make that like i gotta i gotta earmark time to play sekiro yeah, yeah, yeah it's my it's my big I, it's I, my big blind spot in that space 
Yeah, I'm interested to see what, what you think of it because it's very different from like what you're used to with Neo. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, I, I I made a, a cheeky joking thing with friends and they're watching. It's like, oh man, there's too much animation in this in this trailer. Because there's a lot of exaggerated, like you know, kind of wusha movements. And it's it's cool. Mm -hmm. I, like it, it it does it does look like a a sick game. But you know, who knows how far off it is. Um, but we don't actually know if there's an RPG or not. This is cool. And then like you know, because I have to mention, they did it. They finally showed off the Metal Gear Solid 3 Snake Eater remake that it's real. I'm very cautious about it. I don't know if I'm optimistic about it. I'm very cautious about it. I want to believe... Okay, maybe I'm optimistic just a tiny bit. I want to believe that it's going to be good. I I don't want them to fuck up Snake Eater. I really, really, really love Snake Eater. I will it's one say... Of my games ever. <laughs> I saw this headline and I saw a lot of people excited for it, but Metal Gear is... One of those games where I just don't have I don't latch onto it. It's like I I'm I'm vicariously excited because I see other people excited for it, and I hope it's a good result for fans of the series. Yeah, I really wonder like what what who that what that I I don't know who the development team is. Is it like internally Konami? Are they collaborating with other studios? I don't know. I have no fucking idea. I'm just like does does, does Konami still have like game developers in house to like tackle a project of this scope? They do, but we do know that they. Uh, I, I think we we already know the uh, developers working on on this. Uh, do we? Yeah. But uh, who who's developing it? I don't know. I, I used we're to talking me. about uh, uh, Metal Gear Solid Delta, right? Yeah. Uh, I'm pretty sure uh, Virtuous is uh, working with them on it. Okay. But I always thought of Virtuous is just more of a porting house. Well, this is a remake. It's kind of the same thing that Blue Point would do. Would do all right, with, uh, all right okay. yeah, maybe. All right. Yeah, also, all right. they do have in-house studios because they they keep releasing uh, PES titles, and they just announced like, well, they didn't just announce. They Super Bomberman Man R two is coming out. So there's oh that. yeah, yeah, it's true. Yeah. Well, I'm really. Look, they already, they already cleared the first part where they said we're going to use the original voice cast for this game. I don't know if that means they're re-recording with the original voice cast or they're just going to copy and paste from the original <laughs> recording. Who knows? Um, I have one of the re-recording. But um, but anyway, that's a that's a good first bit of news. I Man, please don't fuck it up. I really want to I really want to fall in love with Snake Eater again. I, I can always play the original, I know, but I really want to see what a remake looks like of this game. And the only other note I have here for something that was announced, heavily rumored going into, and then announced uh, at the PlayStation Showcase, was that Sony is working on a Wii U-like tablet console companion device-ish thing currently called Project Q, which is specifically designed around the PS5's remote play capability over Wi-Fi so that you can stream your PS5 game to your tablet controller device. I need to know what the price for this is, because if it's above $200, I genuinely don't know who this is for. <laughs> yeah. Because, yeah. like, Especially once it came out that the battery life is four hours. Oh Jesus! I need you, I need you to know that if you install Chiaki for Deck on your Steam Deck, you get almost double that 
battery life streaming your PS5 to your Steam Deck? Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know what to say about this Roger Q thing, man. It seems like a fucking ill-conceived thing from the get-go, but it feels like something hey, I, I, I still don't even know who the market is, even if it's like for like hundred fifty dollars, you know. I think this is just a case of something that was uh, conceived as a way of Sony like pointing at it and telling their shareholders, look, we're definitely competing in the handheld market. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah, I remember when this thing was rumored, people were like, oh, it's it's going to be like a Switch or like a Steam Deck. But uh, and I, I remember I remember people taking like, you know, memeing about the Wii U controller making an appearance. I'm like, wait, what? And then I kind of read how this device has been marketed with its initial showing officially at this event. I'm like, oh, I can kind of see that. That's strange. <laughs> Is that what they're going with? Okay. Like, like, I'm not saying it doesn't have a use case. It just seems very niche. And also, of course, when people are still wondering when Sony is going to get back into like the portable space with like some sort of true PSP or Vita successor, whenever there's rumors about something like this, you know, people's imagination goes wild and like, oh, finally, is this it? Uh, no, this is not it. Like, it looks so stupid. Like, it looks like it, it looks like one of those mock-up images or like a Nintendo NX when that was a it rumor. Does. Which was a rumor. Let, uh, let me see if I can find it. I found this really, really funny image where somebody uh, did a Tears of the Kingdom meme. Oh, yeah, the Zelda, like the Ultra Hand, like goo <laughs> yeah. on it. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I saw that Fucking... before. I saw that before I saw the actual <laughs> thing. I'm like, wait, what? I'm like, oh, I get it. <laughs> so uh, I'm trying to be optimistic. I'm sure there's people that they're this would be a like it's a niche use case that will fit for certain people and exactly what they need but it does i think the potential and especially where sony's been in the past with the port psp and the in the vita and then this just isn't what they were hoping it would be i'll just say this if anything looking at specifically this device I think Sony has somehow made it so that old logitech g cloud thing has a purpose because you can get that for like around 200 250 bucks now and it has much better battery life and since it runs android you can just use the playstation remote play app on that and since it runs android and has like android phone specs at least you can put emulators on it or something but you could do that you could do that already right you could already be doing that I'm, a, I'm yeah. also look, I'm also looking at this the way they framed this project Q on on the picture. It reminds me of the fucking old ass boomerang controller for PS3. So I just want to like throw it at hoping it comes back as well. It's oh, interesting. They they said they said it's planned for this year, but it still doesn't have an official name. It's still just known. I as just project hope it's Project Q. Q. I just hope it's Project Q, and everyone can just oh no, they'll, they'll just it. they'll just do the they'll just do the Octopath Traveler thing, and it'll take, yeah. they'll just drop they'll just drop the project. It'll just be called Q. That'd there be amazing. <laughs> the Q, the Q controller. Um, for uh, I, I, I don't. Know. I, I, I assume this could be the last thing I hear about it, and then I hopefully never have to hear about this thing ever again because it it seems so stupid. It it's unimaginably stupid. God, oh, watch! I say this and stuff. It's gonna be like the fucking hottest thing on the on the earth when it comes out somehow. And that uh, pretty much covers it for what we have listed from the from the showcase. Of course, they did show other things like with Destiny 2 and a few other things, but we have the highlights here. The other showcase this week, the one that I think most of us forgot about until we're like, oh, yeah, this is happening, was the Marvelous Games showcase. 
So I wasn't uh, I wasn't able to watch this like when it uh, uploaded or watch it live, but I made sure to you know watch it. It's only a, it was only a half minute showcase, but actually had quite a few headlines that were of at least some interest to us, either RPG or RPG adjacent. Though I will say that at a high level, a lot of this stuff seems like it's quite far out. This is this is early announcements of projects that are currently under development. Um, so in no particular order here. I started out by talking that they are currently surprised working on Rune Factory projects two at once. When they brought this up in the Marvelous Showcase, they specified that kind of the um, the theming of these two like dual project was for West and East. And they started out with talking about a spin-off title, which was under the East moniker of this theming, called Rune Factory Project Dragon, which is basically a more action-focused appearing Rune Factory game. They showed a lot of footage of this. It's the, probably the one game in the showcase that, as far as I could tell, got the most actual look in. Where it's, I saw people describe the footage as more, almost like Genshin Impact Light, uh, or a lot more action-focused, a lot, of, a lot of combat, an art style that was a little bit more adult and less cutesy. And just don't know if this is like what's something that Rune Factory fans are looking for, but it seems like kind of an interesting kind of take on an IP that had the space for this. And I, and I, I don't have the Rune Factory knowledge here. This is where I wish Chow was present. But I, I guess the, the Eastern continent that this spinoff takes place on has been referenced in other in other titles in the series. So this is kind of finally allowing players to experience what those regions of this world looks like. Yeah, this looks uh, interesting though, because it's like the 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 first look we got at it from the uh, from the presentation. It's like it's very action focused. When I think about Rune Factory, it's like yes, Rune Factory games have battles and con and like have have a combat system, but they they're not really the focus of those games. You know, they're more like a life simulation in mm -hmm. my mind. And this one was very action heavy, like a very uh, involved storyline. Um, and like you said, you know, it's, uh, some parts of it's like yeah, this looks like Genshin Impact. Or like uh, reaching, reaching for like the similar aesthetic mm. uh, to that, um, you know. Well, but it, but it's like it's like, it, but I think the prospect of it is interesting. If like if they're still gonna lean on life simulation, like how would you how would you adapt that style in like a more in an in a entirely new setting and like a more uh, like a like during like the during the time of the shogun pretty much right the the, the shogunate period or or maybe like this one. Is like a, a more mythical um, angle to it, and how would you implement a life simulation, like you know that the Rune Factory series is known for, into that framework? It almost seems more like Harvestella, where it's like it's both, but it yeah. leans more. It leans more towards the well, maybe not quite that. Like when Harvestella came out, um, I think James and I were the ones that played. Did you play that, Josh? No, I didn't get a chance to play it. This All is right. one of those things I just never got around to, unfortunately. Where Har Harvestella was marketed like a Rune Factory, like primarily a life sim, farming sim with some RPG elements to it. And then when we played it, it was almost split the other way, where, yeah, it had those elements, but focused more on the RPG elements. Where this, it seems almost like taking the Rune Factory template and again, like just tilting the seesaw the other way where they in the describing the game they all the life elements should still be there but based on the way that it, they presented it focus more on exploration and combat that's my take on it anyway and then as this uh, this was a paired announcement 
for the there's little theming of west versus east or west and east. The other the other entry that they put under the west you know bin was a logo for Rune Factory Six, basically saying. We're working on Rune Factory 6, surprise, um, likely going to be more in the traditional vein of what that series has become known for. So I don't know. It seems like a smart way to do that, where they're they're trying to shift the formula with this new this new project and showing off kind of what that looks like and then saying, well, the, for those that don't seem interested in that, we are working on Rune Factory, as you know it, with a with a proper follow up as well. For both yeah. of these and for both these entries, um, no release windows, no consoles. Uh, for Rune Factory Six, no footage, a decent amount of footage of the of the Project Dragon spinoff. Yeah, I, I wonder which one, which one of these come out first. I assume Project Dragon, but mm. I, like, what are what are the release? Like, what's the timeline for these games? Because like they're both being developed simultaneously as well, so it makes you wonder. Like uh, I don't know what what do, what do the in house what does the in house situation looks like at Marvelous? It seems like there's a lot going on under their hood. Yeah, they have a lot of projects listed here. Um, so I I don't like I'm not well aware of exactly how many dev teams they have, but they've got they've got a lot going on here. Um, well, it's not I, too surprising because like even if there's games that Marvelous themselves don't publish, they've done support work uh, pretty consistently. Surprisingly enough, like. Um, I believe it was, didn't Marvelous help with Monster Hunter Stories one and two. That I think I, so. I yeah, I'm That's... pretty sure they did. And then, obviously, there was. Um, didn't, yeah, like yeah, like the Phoenix do, games. Oh yeah, yeah you're correct. Monster, Monster Hunter Monster Hunter Stories role playing game developed by Capcom and Marvelous. So yeah, you're right. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So it's like even when they're not like outright publishing games it's kind of similar to like koei tecma where yeah they publish their own stuff but if you like dig a little deeper you'll see oh yeah they do a lot of contract work for other companies too like mm -hmm. uh i still think back to 2019 where like koei tecma released so many games even if you didn't think they were koei tecmo games like uh dragon quest builders 2 koei tecmo uh yeah so yeah I, I this uh, this marvelous presentation reminded me of like the the level five presentations like where it's the we're fucking we're unveiling all the fucking projects we have now. This is we're, we're hitting hard in level five. See, it's like this is the year of level five and marvelous. Oh, fuck. Like, I I need to pre order Deca, please. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. But yeah, um, that, that's what this presentation was. I was like, we're just gonna show you everything that we're we're working on, or at least a, a good chunk of it. Yep. Well, what's next, Brian? So I listed four other games that are either RPG, RPG adjacent, or maybe RPG adjacent. Because the rest of this, we like the, the Project Dragon Rune Factory spinoff was the one that, outside the initial fashion game that they showed, uh, was the one that got the most footage and and specific details. The rest of these uh, are either very little in terms of like concept art or some artwork, or literally just. More, less than that i'm not saying that's bad they're just this is this almost seems more like movie studio announcements where they're announcing as soon as the product is under development they're saying yep we want to make it very clear and transparent what we're working on so i've got four games listed here as basically just games for us and our purview to kind of keep an eye out on the one that's most explicitly in our wheelhouse is one that is called project or at least tentatively called project life is rpg I guess that's currently the title and what the logo says. And um, this game basically 
has they talk about how the theming of it is life and how the, the, the progression of life versus the progression of how rpgs work it's kind of very mealy mouth and a little bit high level like that uh but in terms of what this game actually is we only got some high level footage or not footage concepts and some concept artwork the concept artwork is like it has like a very like almost like aquatic theme it's a lot of blues and pinks with like corals um here here's more brass tacks of what I actually meant to say. The key word is life because RPGs represent life itself and they're creating a fresh new RPG uh, inspired by classics of old. So it's it's very high level, high concept at this point of what this game actually is. Uh, oh, there, there, there's, a, there's a key thing about this project that they mentioned. The director of this project is Itetsu Suzuki. Do not Google that name alone on Google because it'll tell you that name refers to a Japanese porn actor. Ah. So I went, okay, that's not, clearly that's not the person that I'm, that I'm trying to look for, I think. Uh, so I went, okay, Google Itetsu Suzuki video games. Was like, no, so I went to you know, see what, the, what they've worked on. And they have a, uh, he has a pretty interesting track record. He, James, he was the development director for Soul Sacrifice and Soul Sacrifice Delta. He was also a game de- game designer that worked on Monster Hunter Stories and was a, a scenario writer on God Eater Three. So, and he's the director that... of this. Uh, that he's the director of this game. Yeah, so. So that's an interesting little pedigree. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so not a lot there else to go on. The the logo kind of looks like um like a seafaring captain of sorts. One of the concept arts shows like a naval pirate ship with giant sails, uh, beachhead. So there's it kind of gives you a concept of what the game might be, but it, but not much more than that. Yeah. So I I, I don't know. What to, obviously, we don't know what to expect for this game because they only showed off like artwork still, which looked nice. But you mm. know, we'll, we'll see. I wonder. I wonder when we see this game again. Honestly. <laughs> and um, to, to be honest, I feel kind of silly that I have so little to say about this game. But the the next project that they showed. There's even less to go on, and I'm not saying that's bad. There's just there's just not a lot of uh, for us to discuss about. And that was a project called Project Magia, Magia, M A G I A. Project Magia is how I'm going to pronounce it. And for this project, we basically were told that we were given two character arts, like a uh, a hero and a heroine protagonists, being designed by manga artist Hiro Mashima, who is known for Fairy Tale, Rave Master, and Eden Zero. And pretty much the entire runtime of discussion of Project Magia in this stream was just talking about the character artist and these two pieces of artwork, which is which is fine. It's interesting, but nothing else really to go on in terms of what type of game this is, let alone release window, consoles, uh, development team behind it other than the artist. So I kind of put it here because it's just kind of it's interesting and seems like it could end up in the realm of RPG RPG adjacent, but we just really don't know as far as I can tell. Yeah, Un- unless there's some, unless there's some sort of press release or interview tucked away somewhere where there's more details provided. But from the stream itself, nothing other than character art and the artwork. Yeah, I don't I haven't heard anything else of besides that. That's yeah. I mean that, that that's all to really say. That's like it's always weird when. Um... When Hiro Mashima is on board and when they're announcing something like he's uh, he's uh, involved with, he, they always announce first that he's working on it, and then details will come later for whatever else the rest of it is. It's like it's always 
there, he he's involved. It's like all right, and then we'll we'll never we won't hear about anything about it to like much later. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it, it happens for like a, a mobile game that um I don't know if they recently shut down in Japan or, not. <laughs> but it was like a, it was like a, an original mobile game, and like all the all the characters are designed by him. Like, okay, cool, <laughs> yes. But hey, no, since it is fairy tale related, maybe we'll just preemptively uh, throw Chow into it. Yeah, I think the same thing. We're just, <laughs> we'll, just, we'll put it on his list. <laughs> no, I mean, I, who knows? This might be cool. I have no idea what to, what to think of it. Obviously, then the next thing they showed was probably not a surprise because it's one of their kind of tentpole series. Uh, they are working on a new story of seasons title. They showed off some general footage from that. No, no specific title for the next entry however they said that one of the key concepts of the story of seasons was that their idea is a story of seasons game that you can play with everyone they talk the i forget who from the development team was speaking to this but he mentioned how one of the constant feedbacks they got for the series so far is that they wish you you know players wish they could play with their friends and they're taking that to heart as they develop this new game in the series. So yeah, working uh, working on Story of Seasons, clearly with a focus on implementing some sort of multiplayer component. Yeah, it's like series manager Hikaru Nakano as well. Uh, uh, thank you. Uh, yeah, for, for this segment. I, I think it's really... I don't know if it's ambitious or... I don't know. The, the, uh, it seems like a, an ongoing theme about some of these projects at Marvelous that's going on right now. It's like they're dividing up like n- new entries into multiple projects and multiple games like for example like we were just talking about um rune factory they're dividing that up between this project dragon and the next mainline rune factory 6 and now they're dividing up story of seasons one now that's traditional one that's multiplayer focused it's like it's not it's like it's not even like combined like combining to like a like a unified vision it's like no we're gonna we're gonna make these things into their own separate product separate mm-hmm. entries and like i don't know that's that's all that's a lot <laughs> you know that's uh hopefully it pans like i i i wish them the very best like i think they'd be there's a there, there's a huge potential of like obviously the life simulation multiplayer category like a of like that want to like you know man together with their friends and have that be a consistent thing um so if they nail it if they, if they nail the story of season's charm and uh, making that seamless with like other people, that'd be cool. I, I really, but it's one of those things that, logistically speaking, I wonder what that looks like. Like, what's what's like the like the character limit? Like, is there like a, is like a, a per server thing? Like, and only a, a certain number of people can be managing there at once, or is it like a persistent like more MMO style? Or does framework? one play, or or does one player just host another in their like file? Yeah, it's one thing. Yeah. Where the concept is the concept sounds you know like a natural evolution, but the execution, there's so many ways they could go. You almost need more details to chew on. Like, how are you going to implement this? Yeah. But I think that the, the, the concept itself, there's a, so much potential. Right. And then at the very end of the showcase, we got a CG, tree, uh, CG teaser and a title drop for a follow-up to Damon and Cross Machina. Damon X Machina? Damon Cross... Damon Machina... Titanic. <laughs> Sorry, is it Damon X Machina? I I call it uh, Demon or Damon X Machina. I don't know if it's actually Cross Machina. I've never heard it called a Cross Machina. All right, Damon. Well, I just uh, like I never want to say like Hunter it's, X sorry. Hunter 
or like Xenoblade <laughs> X instead of I don't know. Damon X Machina Titanic Scion. So Hell mo- yeah, a title drop, a little CG teaser in development. Yeah, it's not really RPG, but you know, it, it showed up on our site. That's fine. It, show, it showed up on our site, and I know people are interested because, yeah. as far as I could tell, the first game got pretty decent reception. Uh, but oh, yeah, back yeah. back when we thought we might not ever see Armored Core again, like at least we got Damon X Machina. I mean, they they had uh, you know our, our Armored Core developers on it as well, so like it's definitely like a time when like now now we're just feasting in giant robot games you know so mm-hmm. now 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 it's our time finally at long last giant robot games are in again people love them they're mainstream um and that's good that, that's if, if this is what it takes to finally get the game the entire industry to go move in the right direction and everyone works on their own giant robot game that's gonna be cool as fuck then yeah sure i, I, I video games are cool again and uh, I, I feel dumb. I looked it up. It's uh, of course it's pronounced ex machina because it's supposed to be like Deus ex machina. Mm. I'm like, oh, of course it is. All right, Damon <laughs> ex machina Titanic Scion. Whenever I see that X there, I'm like, wait, that's pronounced cross. Oh wait, not in this case. It, it, it's hard. It's hard. It's hard. Like it's always it's a case by case scenario. At least it's not pronounced key like a. Oh like, Jesus Christ! Yeah, Kingdom Hearts. If, if everyone Kingdom Hearts went Kingdom Hearts, then we'd all lose our mind. And but, that yeah, for uh, for Marvelous. A lot yeah. of a lot of titles, a lot of it were that were high concept or very far out, but exciting stuff. So to kind of know everything or pretty much everything that's in their pipeline for the next several years. Uh, we got a few other little news bits to wrap out here before we go into release dates. Uh, this one was kind of a surprise during a very quick video that was celebrating. This is a Square Enix announcement. A very quick video celebrating the 25th anniversary of the original Dragon Quest Monsters. Square Enix announced that they are working on a new Dragon Quest Monsters game that's currently in development for Nintendo Switch. That's it. So kind of like the kind of like the Dragon's Dogma Two uh, teaser, or honestly, some of these. Oh, you uh, get less. They even got a logo or anything or a name. <laughs> yeah, no logo. Well, they they do have a console, but I guess we did get that for Dragon's Dogma Two later. But yeah, they're saying Square Enix is like, "Yep, Dragon Quest Monsters. We got a title in development for for Switch." And, cool. All right, neat. I, I, I kind of wish we got like you know re-releases of the older Dragon Quest Monsters titles to to mm-hmm. modern platforms as well. Um, but sure, you know, Dragon Quest Monsters fucking rules. The old games are real are a ton of fun. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad the series is, uh, keeps on go- going on. It, it was uh, not nice to reminisce a little bit there, but there the mini twenty fifth uh, year anniversary uh, video. Mostly just reminds me. I, I I still want to play um Treasures. As soon as as soon as I buy it for Switch, it'll it'll be announced for PC officially. We did get uh, on the Japanese side of the house uh, a release date for the upcoming East Ten Nordics. I did say Nordics instead of Nordiques this time. <laughs> it'll be releasing on September twenty eighth in Japan for PlayStation Four, PlayStation Five, and Switch. And of course, that means that the the with the release date, marketing's kind of ramping up for that game. During an interview, or not an interview, but a, a showing of the of the game with Dengeki, we got a few more minutes of footage uh, of the field and naval combat. Um, uh, a commercial that was thirty seconds long also showed the more Falcon footage. Classic, really. Yeah. So <laughs> I remember just later earlier this like late April, we got our first real footage of this game that Adam, like we talked about, spliced together and put on our YouTube channel. Uh, 
from a it was stream footage. I remember people like looking at our little splice together upload and like, man, the frame rate of this is pretty bad. Like, oh, that's just how it was in the stream. Uh, so now we're getting some other avenues where footage of this is, seems like it's going to be finally dropping in at a more regular cadence uh, as we go towards the release date um, this fall, at least in Japan. Of course, got to state the obvious that currently nothing's been announced officially in terms of a Western release. Uh, I guess it's pretty much it, 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 like from the commercial. It's like it, it seems like Adol is a lot more chatty than this one. How do you mean by that? I don't know. He just he's like he's a, like they actually gave it like a character. Like he's always had like a, you know in, in some the battle church like or whatever. Voice. Yeah. Yeah, but it, but it seems like he they're kind of leaning on that maybe he might actually like be an active voice in the story too. Mm-hmm. Maybe? maybe I don't know. And what like, uh, <laughs> Chow reported on from the uh, um, Felgana remaster as well. He's a little bit more chatty so there too. Yeah, so, uh, it's it's very very slow. Like every time every new entry, he says a little bit more, talks a little bit more. So eventually, they'll just say like, "All right." They're gonna, they're gonna re, that's that, that's what they're gonna do. They're gonna remake all the fucking old East games where he didn't really talk, and they're just gonna put a voice on him. Like, all right, we're gonna retroactively make it so Adol was never a silent protagonist. Fuck you. <laughs> That'd be so funny. I could see Falcom doing shit too, just to fucking get money out of people. Yeah. So, 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 so now that East Ten Nordics is in kind of like its final marketing phase as it goes wraps up for its Japanese release, I'm not sure. How much we're going to cover like the incremental updates as that head towards release, though we might have some people on staff that are interested in importing it. So we might have some initial. initial I, I might. I, I'm actually kind of. I, I will definitely be importing it. I'm. I'm considering importing it because I'm so curious, and I don't know if I'm willing to wait. So. Yeah. And then, and I then, of course, we will report on whenever official Western release is detailed in any fashion. Unfortunately, though, like it also over the, the the release date of this game also overlaps with the game that I also want to play. What else is coming out at the end of September? It's it's in, it's our news, Brian. It's a segue. Oh well, that's later in the list. Ah, well, uh, we'll talk about it because it's Square Enix. All right, so um, there's we have a few new release dates uh for coming into summer and fall, but the one that Josh is calling about right now is that we finally have a release date, worldwide release for the long-awaited, announced a while ago, Infinity Strash Dragon Quest: The Adventure of Die. It will launch on September twenty-eighth worldwide for PlayStation, Xbox, Nintendo Switch, and PC. So it actually, kind of hits all the bases. Uh, we got a new trailer um, that was just, that uh, detailed the release date, and then just earlier today or late yesterday, uh, Screen Enix actually put up a kind of like an info sheet uh, newsletter on their website about, you know, just the the history of the, what what is Dragon Quest Die? Do you need to know the anime in order to play this? Is this an original story? Or does it follow the, the, the manga or the anime? The answer is, according to Square Enix, that this is a retelling of the of the manga slash anime up through episode 41 of the more recent version that started. That is so funny that they, that they gave like a, a, a specific episode number. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Like, well, okay. well, of course, they're going to say, like, no, you don't need to know anything about Die. This is a retelling story. It'll cover the, the events up through. But I guess that the, the show is about 100 episodes or so, 90 or so. Yeah. Uh, I yeah. will say I, I did watch the first three. So I'm well on my way. There you go. <laughs> uh, and then the only the one other thing that was detailed, the, the footage of the trailer that this, that re- revealed the release date is mostly combat footage. 
uh, with a few cinematics as well, uh, showing that the, the gameplay of the three characters die, pop, and is it mom? Mom. Yeah. Ma'am. Uh, and th- and then the uh, the newsletter on Square Enix website detailed that Dragon Quest: The Adventures of Dai will have two gameplay modes. It has this the story mode, which recounts the story of the show slash manga as you would expect, but also it has a Temple of Recollection mode, which is described as almost like some sort of like procedural slash roguelike esque mode for training or getting materials. They, the, the way that Square Enix uh, words it is, if you're having a hard time progressing through the story or just to get stronger, you can take on the Temple of Recollection. This is an evolving, repeatable dungeon that changes every time you play through it. Beating monsters will earn you exciting rewards, including more powerful bond memories, which I'm not sure what that is, but some sort of progression mechanic in game. But I think this is our first time learning that this game would have like these two distinct gameplay modes that apparently you can kind of toggle between as you need to between the story they, and they, this they've, temple uh, mode. They've seen, they've uh, they've shown the this uh, info oh, back okay. in GS, but gotcha. like it's just kind of you know detailing it a little bit more of like what are the purpose of these modes mm-hmm. and such. But they've they, they've uh, they've shown off these modes before, like as the two main two modes. I think the more details of like ah, oh, it'll go up to episode forty one, and it's like oh, okay, mm-hmm. that that's that, that's certainly new. Um, you know, obviously more more new footage. Um, this one i'm really curious uh for obviously i i watched uh the all of the new uh anime that uh released i i really liked it it's basically a, a fucking classic grpg turned into an anime you know it has mm-hmm. all the classic grpg tropes but just like as a, like a big adventure uh, animated it's like yep um well, and i know the anime recently um got its dub finally kicked off it took a bit and i th- i remember wanting to watch the dub but it's like it's like put on some weird service that I couldn't like Crunchyroll has the original airing, but I was like, where's the dub? It's not on Crunchyroll. I remember it was actually like put somewhere else. And then, yeah, let me oh, look yeah, that up. Yeah, Dra- Dragon Quest died dub. It was like put on some weird service that I wasn't quite sure where it was oh. actually at. Uh... Also along with it, with this, uh, you know, they put up the steam page for this and then there's like, uh, a slightly more expensive edition of this game. There's like the obviously sixty bucks for the standard edition, then sixty five dollars for the digital deluxe edition, which gives you uh, Dragon Quest three cosmetics for the cast. It is kind of a nice nod because like the 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 story is kind of modeled after Dragon Quest three, like the source material, which we're still waiting for the HD two D remake of. You know, the dub is streaming on Hoopla, Microsoft Store, and Vudu. Like oh yeah, okay. I, as soon as I saw like uh, it was it was a uh, Toei, I was like oh for whatever reason they upload a, pretty much all of their shit to the Microsoft Store. Huh. Interesting uh, arranger. But yeah, yeah that's also yeah, so September twenty eighth, pretty much you know the same release date as East Ten Nordics in uh, Japan. But I, I want to check. I want to check out Infinity Strash. I've been looking forward to it. Mm. Ever since it was announced uh, three lifetimes ago. Yeah. Going into a kind of release date roundup here. This one's not a release date, but it's a date of a new beta. Uh, currently, Alcat is working on Warhammer 40k Rogue Trader, same studio behind the two Pathfinder CRPGs. We got a new features trailer for the game, and it's one out of a series. It's like the fifth gameplay trailer we've gotten for Rogue Trader. But Alcat also announced that on June 1st, 
uh, pre-order customers will have access to the game's closed beta test. So still no release date, like full release date for the game, but if you've already pre-ordered, you'll be able to play at least in some limited capacity uh, starting on June 1st. The, the one thing that uh, I saw in this feature trailer that I thought was worth calling out is I remember when I played um, Wrath of the Righteous that my biggest bugbear, my biggest downside with the game was the uh, Crusader battles. It was like this Heroes of Might and Magic like side game that played differently from the standard more turn-based or real-time with pause classic CRPG gameplay. And I thought it kind of detracted from the rest of the game because it wasn't that engaging. Here in Rogue Trader, this feature trailer showcases snippets of like this void ship gameplay mechanic where you actually like take control of a ship in like a like almost like a real time strategy sort of game. And of course, I'm trying to extrapolate from a few seconds of a, of a feature trailer. I'm like, man, I hope it lands better than the uh, Crusade Battles of Wrath of the Righteous because the, the base gameplay looks, you know, as good as it ever does. But I know Alcat always likes to throw in this little like town building or extra extra mode that I don't know really elevates the game much. So I saw that here and I'm like, well, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. I just hope it's better implemented than the um, what I've seen in their previous games. Yeah, I, I know there's like some previews of this uh, getting out there. Like, uh, I don't know if it was like past this week or a little before. I I don't know. I don't know what to make of it. Like, like you said, like it's one of those things that like on paper, it sounds cool, but I don't know how I feel about oh. the implementation yet. Well, for me, like just in general, I don't get excited by beta tests. Like even if it's yeah. a game that I made that I'm incredibly excited for, I'm like, I, I'll wait for the release. Like, yeah, I felt the same about Baldur's Gate 3. Like, yeah, I could play that right now in early access if I wanted to. But I'm like, yeah, I'll wait for the release. Oh, I can play Rogue Trader in a couple of weeks. Uh, I'll just wait for the release. Like, I have enough on my plate already that I don't like for those that really are, you know, super jazzed for the beta. I'd be curious to see some here curious to hear or see some impressions but i'm okay just waiting for the release and we'll just continue kind of going through chronologically uh here's one that was originally supposed to release on june 12th so it would have been announced you know next chronologically but front mission 2 remake we got a release from the developer stating that initially slated to release on june 12th front mission 2 will not hit that date and is delayed with no specific revised release date currently you know, detailed. So it's delayed indefinitely, so to speak, though they did state that they're hoping and aiming to release Front Mission 2 for quarter three of this year. So, you know, September, October, uh, I guess, August. But they didn't they didn't hold themselves to that. And that was just nested in their press release. So I, I know some people, I think Cullen was really looking forward to Front Mission 2 remake. Uh, I am to come looking out. forward to it too. I, I really like, I like Front Mission 2 a lot. I mean, that front, front Mission 1 is definitely, it's like, yep, it's 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 kind of a at this point in time. But Front Mission 2 is, it, is far more engaging. So. And they didn't they didn't really provide a ton of details for the for the delay other than just saying we want to ensure that we have sufficient time to add as many functionalities as possible, proper implementation proper implementation and tests, and we want to meet your expectations for a modern day remake. So sounds like they just it just needs more time in the oven. Yeah, I wonder what happened like internally to like just like we were mm-hmm. only a few few days out till till it's released, and then something must have fucking blown up internally. Like, oh fuck! Mm-hmm. <laughs> we need to uh, push this back immediately. So yeah, it's just kind of game development is hard. 
also late launching later in June. Uh, I guess we might punt on this one until we get Chow back. Uh, his new favorite game, Honkai Star Rail, is getting its first post-release update or its first major post-release update anyways, version 1.1, launching uh, on June 7th. I could re- I could read some of the, the overview here from Mihoyo, but I might just wait till Chow's back. Seems like it's a relatively minor update. They're going to add super genius hacker Silver Wolf. Are you you not excited? Was she present in the base game? I don't know. I didn't uh, get up. I I didn't didn't play enough to get to her if that was the case. (laughs) I'm pretty sure she was part of the uh, prologue thing. Gotcha. Well, we'll get Chow back because apparently, you know, he's no longer going to be able to update us on on Genshin updates, he's gonna, he's all, all in on Honkai Star Rail. So he'll, he, he'll tell us how good Mahoyo versus Correspondent. It's, 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 but it's, it's like, it's up to the whims. It's not, it's not like an overall Hoyo verse because it just depends on what he's consuming from them at mm-hmm. any given time. We got a release date for Blue Protocol, and I don't know if you're expecting this, but. The last time we heard about this was kind of a surprise announcement at the Game Awards where Amazon was picking it up for Western release after the game as a whole from Bandai Namco had kind of gone dark for several years. Uh, Amazon is still publishing the Western release, but that won't be releasing until 2024. However, it will be launching on June 14th in Japan. So not too long away for the launch of a game that had been dark for a while. Yeah, I, I, I mean, this was—I don't know. This feels like it was put. It was pushed like back. Uh, like it, it saw like even recent delays to up at this point because I think they were gonna like run some uh, some more internal tests. And I thought I thought the original plan for it was like spring, early spring in Japan, but maybe wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, but I, I know like I've been kind of. I saw some of like the feedback like that people were uh, giving from like the uh, recent uh, beta test of this game in japan and i don't, I don't know I, like i, I kind of passed my out like mmos at this point I, I don't know if i can ever do an mmo ever again <laughs> uh but even then there's like some some of the end game stuff seem kind of uh, i don't know but, but it, does, we'll it, it, does, well, it does seem like amazon's kind of desperate for a mega hit like they, oh yeah they, absolutely they, and like and it has to be a mega hit, it seems like. They tried with Lost Ark, which seems like it's done okay, but didn't make the waves it wanted. New World a little bit less so. Obviously, they just recently and were super eager to announce their um Lord of the Rings MMO, which we won't see for eight years or whatever. And now then they showed up, you know, last year saying we're publishing Blue Protocol, but not at the same time Bandai is in in Japan. So it just seems like they're really desperate to, for a hit. Uh and I don't know. There's something about that just that just rubs me the wrong way. <laughs> I don't I'll just say when I see Amazon's name on something, I'm not immediately like optimistic. Uh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so but I'm interested okay. in seeing uh, independent of Amazon, I'm interested to see like I know people are gonna be playing on the Japanese clients of this if they if at all possible. So it'll be interesting to see uh, you know, within just like three weeks or so what people think of this game based on its Japanese release. Uh, later in June, on June 29th, we got the first release date for the set of three post-launch DLCs for Wolong Fallen Dynasty. Uh, this one doesn't really tell us much that we didn't know other than the specific date. Uh, it's the Battle of Zongyuan coming on June 29th, but we don't really know anything about whether this is post-game, what, how it's going to be formatted. But as someone who's kept Wolong installed and did enjoy it, for what it was, even if it didn't reach the highs of Neo 2, I'll probably be playing this as, as it launches to see what I feel about it. 
yeah, I mean, I, I'm interested to see like what, uh, what what um new new weapons they're adding because they they're, they said they're uh, adding a new weapon type. Just oh, I didn't catch I mean, that. Yeah, new new yeah. stages and enemies. That's pretty typical. New difficulty level, pretty typical. New weapon type. Be interesting to see how how it lands. Yeah, I I I wonder. I wonder. I wonder if this uh this new like content drop will like. Now, now that they've learned so much about how people played and engaged with Wo Long, I wonder if this uh, mixes the combat and the flow enough to be like something new for its returning players. Because mm-hmm. uh, you know, by the end of Wo Long, everything felt very samey with the way that you approach things. I wonder if they have taken that into account with some of the the combat direction that they're they're now implementing post launch. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they uh mechanically like, work that in. Like a hey, well, this enemy you can't just parry forever mm-hmm. <laughs> for this, for example, or like there's like distinct phases of it where yeah, you know, you cannot do this shit. Uh, we have a Western release date for Disguise Seven. It'll be launching on October third in the U.S., October sixth in Europe. Uh, this game did launch in Japan in January, so like it's already kind of a known commodity in terms of what sort of game it was. And we did also get some interview questions answered with the director, uh, Shinsuke Minawa. So we have not only the announcement of the release date up on the site, of course, with the trailer that came al- came along with it, with the story trailer from Nice America. We also have uh, James put up a feature with the interview questions with the director. James, was there any like key takeaways from this or was it mostly like kind of the expected answers that you get with this sort of thing? It was mostly the expected answers. That's the thing with like uh, email interviews is it's just like you just you really can't be sure like uh, if you'll get anything interesting from it. Sometimes sometimes you do. Sometimes you're surprised and they are really just candid about something you weren't expecting. But, oh, but yeah, here... email interview coming up in a few weeks where it was like, uh, unfortunately, the wrong answers. But yeah. Yeah, it's, it's uh, yeah. Email interviews are tough because you have to kind of you have to kind of like fine tune an account for like. I think it's especially hard for like pre-release games. I think post-release, like if you're doing an interview on a game that like you have like more intimate knowledge about after playing it, I think that makes for a very strong interviewing. But like for a game that's like pre-release, it's kind of like yeah, your standard stuff, and they can't they can't really talk about it in earnest, obviously, um, because you know they they know that you haven't played it probably and so forth. And even then, you can't really talk about like the specifics because it's. The interview is meant to go face like a more uh, an audience that hasn't played the game yet, right? So, so it's effectively just marketing, but it still provides the information in in yeah. a manner that's maybe a little less dry than like a press release. Mm-hmm. And with that, that kind of covers us for all the uh, upcoming releases. So, a uh, lots of stuff coming out in June and July, and of course, we as I mentioned, we are kind of coming up on a lot of those June events that have been earmarked, like the the Starfield Direct, the Summer Games Fest, a few other things I'm sure I'm forgetting. And of course, a lot of other developers, it sounds like, are planning to use the time to make announcements as either by plan or by surprise. I won't be surprised if we have a lot of new news coming in. We were kind of asking yesterday, what does Nintendo have in store for the rest of the year? I have a feeling by the end of the month, or at least by the end of next month, we'll we'll know what their big, what their big, um, winter releases other than their Scarlet Violet DLC. Uh, the only other thing I forgot to mention is that we do have one review up on the site that uh, Quentin put up for us. Uh, it is a review of Star Trek Resurgence, which isn't quite an RPG, 
but it's like an adventure game. It kind of, uh, or not an adventure game. Um, what, what would be the correct genre to call this? Telltale, telltale like narrative driven uh, experience. I don't know anything about Star Trek, dude. I'll be, I'll be straight up. I don't know anything about Star Trek. Me neither. I mean, I knew, I knew Star Trek, like Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, but the, the Strange New Worlds, uh, Beyond. Um, you know, Patrick Stewart and Picard. Engage. Yeah, I haven't followed that, but uh, it, it was a fun. We had the opportunity to review it, and Quentin is a big Star Trek fan, so they uh, they put up a review for Star Trek Resurgence up on the site for us. Uh, well, with that, we'll go ahead and start wrapping this up. And of course, uh, thank you so much, James, for going into detail about your time with Final Fantasy 16. We'll probably rewrap back around once that once we know when that demo will officially release. I'm sure we'll get a lot more impressions on it, and then of course the full game release not long after that. Uh, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the TetraCast. You can find all the articles and news that we talked about up on RPGsite.net. You can find RPG site on all the social media platforms, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You should be able to just search RPG site and find us. You can join our Discord at discord.gg slash RPG site, where we have a lot of people still working their way through Zelda, a lot of people excited about Final Fantasy and all the other games in between. Um, and we'll be back next week with another edition of the TetraCast. Uh, maybe we'll get Chow back to talk about Honkai Star Real. Maybe not. I'm not sure exactly what we'll talk about yet. We'll decide uh, once we get there. But until you hear from us next time, stay safe and take care. And we'll talk to you all later. Or spoken to hype.